Ladies and gentlemen, it's time for the Pie Factory Podcast. Coming from post-nasal drip. Ha ha. Welcome, all my friends, to the Pie Factory Podcast that never ends. We're so glad you could attend. But, Mm -hmm. um, hey... Um, okay. You know what? Um, before I go on any further, I have to address uh, some feedback we got from a longtime friend of the show, Kurt Musgrave. Oh, he's, he didn't even introduce me. Um, um, tut, 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 Mr. Anonymous person over there. Um, allow me to extend some courtesy to our listener who took the time to email us. Okay. Good. Okay. And uh, Kurt says, guys, a little late catching up on episodes, but I noticed that Sean was struggling with his name, and I was doing finger quotes there, at the beginning of the Crossbow and Ripoff episode. After his introductory reading, I would have thought it would have been obvious. Second Sean. Anyway, keep up the great work, Kurt Musgrave. And I had to think about that for a second. I was like, why second Sean? Because when I read second Sean, the first thing I thought of was Sarah Chalk who played Elliot on Scrubs, and she has the nickname of Second Becky because she was the second actress to play Becky on Roseanne. So that's what I, I was like, okay, I don't get it. And then I then I realized he mentioned like what I was reading from the beginning, so I Googled it and realized I was reading a uh, New Testament passage from the second letter of John. Hence where he got two Sean or second Sean from, because it came from second John and the Irish word for John. Ha ha Sean. Does that mean that um, if you go to Ireland and you need to know where the nearest bathroom is, do you say, um, excuse me, sir, but could you tell me where the Sean is? Is that how that goes? Uh, probably not. Oh, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Maybe they tell you where the loo is. Hmm, could be. Skip to my Louis, my darling. Yeah, but uh, anyway, this is Second Sean um, in uh, the city of, like, Chicago. And um, over my other, the other um, host of this podcast is, uh, uh, please introduce yourself, other host of this podcast. Hi, I'm other host of this podcast. And thank you, other host of this podcast. Uh, otherwise known as Jimmy G. Oh, okay. So you have two yeah. names mm-hmm. then. This is going to be a fascinating yeah. show. Fascinating. <laughs> Yeah, just use the Jimmy G. I think more people are are mm. familiar with it. Oh, okay. That's that's so true. Um so um what have uh I I realize it's been a long time since we recorded an episode because I think we actually recorded the uh episode 60 before we recorded episode 59. Did we? Is that true? I think we did. And then we released I think it. So yeah. it might be. So it's been a while be. since we did a show. Uh, um, have you been up to any uh, gaming fun in the past, however many weeks it's been? Well, not a whole lot, other than playing one of the games tonight. Um, uh, I was looking for a uh, a roguelike game for the uh, for my Android phone, and I've come across a couple. Like one's called Pixel Dungeon, the other one is called Red Wizard, and Pixel Dungeon has a, it, I guess it's open source, so there's a bunch of different variants for it on the Google Play Store, and I tried a couple of them, and then none of them, it just seemed to be too hard to me. Um, the thing I hate about roguelikes is once you die, that's it, you have to start the game all over. You, you can't continue it at all. And I guess there are no save have, states in that. No, not at all. And then I started playing uh, 
what was the other one? Red Wizard. And uh, I was having a good time with it. It was a little easier and uh, didn't have uh, save states, but uh, it was. It seemed like it was a little bit of an easier game. And then I got to the final level, defeated it, and it said, congratulations, try your adventure again from the beginning. I'm like, oh, oh well, that was kind of pointless. So, so yeah, I guess I'm off of roguelike, <laughs> roguelike games for a while. Mm. And... Um, so yeah, I was playing that. Haven't played any more Fantasy Star Two, cause I, uh, the, the the grind. I just don't like games where you gotta. I just I can't get into grinding, and I know you had to do some of that with the original Fantasy Star on the Sega Master System, but it just seemed to be like a lot less on that. What else have I been up to? Um, oh, tried modding my seventy eight hundred, and now it don't work. Uh, let me think here. Um, I think it's fixable, but. You know, it's, a, it's probably just something stupid I did, which that's kind of redundant. Everything I do is stupid. And um, played a few games in preparation for uh, for the uh, the mystery episode of uh, Super Podcast Brothers. Uh, that was fun. Yes, the mystery episode. It's such a mystery that it's never going to be released. Ah. Yeah, because the audio screwed up. But, you know, I still think I had something to do with it. But How, you know, how is that possible? The, I don't know. I don't know, but I have a way of screwing things up. I just feel you know, terrible audio. that I didn't have a recording running at the same time. I, sh- You know what? I should have done it, too, but, you know, what are you going to do? I mean... A word of advice, folks, if you're ever on an audio podcast, whether you are the host or not, just run a recording of it if you have the computing power. Yeah, indeed. But, um, let me think. Have I been playing or use a standalone recorder, too, or just see if they... Oh, let's nah, get into that, but... Well, that could be a way to go to. Yeah, but, uh, it only gets your own recording, though, and if the other recordings don't come through, then what's the point? You just have yourself talking. Yeah, that's true. So I'm trying to think if I played anything else. Not really, but uh, if it's because of the that episode of Super Podcast Brothers won't be being released, which is a shame because it was a it was a good episode. I, I had a good time. I had a great time it. with that. the uh, The opening bit that Andy had made for us was just brilliant. That was that was freaking brilliant, and I'm not saying that because it was a game show, and I'm not saying it also because I won the game show, but it was still brilliant. But anyway, I was playing, uh, I, I rediscovered one of my favorite DOS games of all time. Well, I actually first played it on the Atari ST, and that is Lamatron. Oh, I, th- I thought it was going to be the Jive Translator. The Jive Translator. Oh, stewardess, I speak Jive. Oh, good. Just hang loose, blood. She's going to catch up on the rebound on the med side. What it is, big mama, my mama raised no dummies, I duck a rap. No, Lamatron is very, very fun. If you can download it, if you can, uh, if you can grab it, I think it's, I think it's shareware. Uh, by all means, I'm, install I'm it. I'm pretty sure it was freeware all along. Might have been. I, I'm pretty sure you're right, but you, you might have to install like DOSBox to get it running. Uh, I can't remember the name of the. I, I, I installed a variant of DOSBox on my computer so I could run it, and. Um, it's really, really fun. I remember when I had it on my Atari ST, I actually was able to go through all 100 levels of the game. It was hard, but uh, they, uh, there's some levels where you can just rack up the bonus lives. And um, the, there's a scene in the game where you have to destroy a toilet that's shooting out uh, toilet paper at you. And if you destroy it, the toilet turns into a bunch of turds, and each almost each turd that you shoot and destroy turns into a free life. You just got to collect it. And, uh, of course, I also played with the AI droid, which is... Uh, Lamatron was uh, created by Jeff Minter, otherwise known as Yak, 
And uh, he also created Tempest 2000 and is about to create Tempest 4000. And, uh, yeah, um, he gets uh, a lot of a lot of the ideas uh, from Lamatron were were put over into some of his other games, as, as far as, like, power-ups and stuff, like the AI droid, which was in the Tempest 2000 series of games. But uh, I think that's the one I had been playing the most, and I've just been having a lot of fun with that one. That is really a great game. But that's about all I've been playing and stuff. Oh, I didn't neglect to mention, though, since we last recorded, I was actually at the Illinois State Fair. And on the way back, we stopped in the town of McLean, Illinois, at the Arcadia Arcade which is in this little tiny town. If you if you're heading south on Interstate 55, it's like the second or and third God, exit. Godspeed. Godspeed. Well, yeah, especially to get out of Illinois, you want to speed. But uh, stop at the at uh, the town of McLean is like two or three exits south of the Bloomington Normal area, and uh, there's like a truck stop that's pretty well known through through Central Illinois. There, the Dixie Truckers Home. Uh, but you just go a few blocks into the downtown area, and the Arcadia Arcade is there. And um, I did put some video of this up on our uh, on our Facebook page uh, right after I uh, was... Actually, I think I broadcasted it live and, and, and it uploaded there, which I was surprised I had service. But um, I knew they had they had the arcade there, the, the video game arcade, because they also have one further down the road, about maybe 10 miles, in a t- little town of Atlanta, which is even... Atlanta, Illinois, which is even smaller. Uh, but what I did not know is since I had been in the area, they actually opened a pinball arcade. And it's on the same town square in an old bank building in uh, McLean. And they McLean. got like McLean. They got like about 15, 20 pinball machines in there. Maybe not. Well, yeah, they have a few, arc- actually a few video games in there. Just like the regular arcade, they have a few, uh, they have a few pinballs in there. But uh, I'll say this. Um, there were two interesting... Two interesting video games in the arcade there that I had never seen before. Ooh, I know do we tell. Talk, I know we talked about one of them, and that is a track and field machine with a trackball. Well, with two trackballs on it. Um, I remember we did the episode about track and field. It was we did mention that track and field was uh, later created. Uh, there were some some versions of it that had the trackball, but I had never seen one until I went to this arcade in McLean, and also. Something I had never seen before, a two-player gauntlet machine. It looks like a standard arcade-type cabinet, you know, with a, one, a player next, you know, the, the, a joystick and the buttons, you know, next to each other. Two players, standard-sized cabinet. And it was gauntlet. I never knew such a thing existed. I, I didn't put a token in it, but to, to see to see the differences, and I'm sure it's in MAME, and I could t- take a look at it there, but that was really uh, neat to see those, because that was... Uh, that was interesting. Oh, and uh, I did uh, spread a few uh, Pie Factory podcast business cards around. Woohoo! I remembered to bring some with me for once, and um, so yeah, so uh, that was fun. That if you're seriously, if you're traveling through Illinois, going from Chicago towards St. Louis or St. Louis towards Chicago, stop in these arcades. The one in Atlanta, or even better, the one in um, the the one the Arcadia Arcade and the uh, what was it called? Pinball. Oh, what the heck was the name of the arcade? The pinball one it was like Pinball Fantasy Arcade, I think it's called, uh, in McLean, Illinois. They're the typical, you know, put a quarter in uh, type arcade. But um, it's, I mean, it's it's well worth it to break up the monotony of the trip. The only thing I really wish about the uh, the one in McLean is if they would have been in conjunction to the truck stop, because if if they had, I'm sure that the owner would probably be raking in some cash. Flip side though, 
he'd probably be repairing the machines a lot more often too. So yeah, right. I guess there's good and bad to the situation. So, but anyway, that's what I've been up to. Mm. So, well, you didn't re- return the um, what have you been doing gaming wise? Oh, um, what have you question. been doing gaming wise? But I'm going to answer it anyway. I've been playing. Um, one of the games that we are going to be talking about tonight, um, but really not much else except uh, my wife and I took a trip out west. We spent a few days in Ocean Beach, San Diego, California, had a lovely time, except I was sick the whole time, which meant that I didn't really get rested. Um, and then we uh, went over to Vegas for a few days for pretty much dirt cheap because in August, nobody wants to be in Vegas. So everything is like insultingly cheap including the flight and um while i was there i visited the pinball hall of fame finally i think pinball hall of fame is a misnomer it's more like any pinball we can get our hands on um especially if they're vintage um it's a very cool place to check out it's very rustic it's basically a giant huge honking warehouse with pinball with rows of pinball machines and one row of uh video games uh it's not a pay one price place it's uh mm-hmm. i believe 20 i believe it's a quarter per video game and the pinball machines are basically uh it depends on the machine like the newer uh stern machines like uh, they have a ghostbusters a batman batman's really cool i didn't get to play that at midwest gaming classic but i got to play it in vegas that's a really cool one uh, there's a new Aerosmith, a new Kiss machine they have there. Those cost a dollar each. Uh, a dollar. I saw per- the Aerosmith one at uh, Midwest Gaming Classic this year. Did I play that one? I don't remember. I played the Kiss one a few times. A couple of the uh, newer ones, they had it set so that it's something like a dollar for one game. But if you prepay $2, you get three games. So I tried that with uh, the Kiss pinball machine. They also had the vintage uh, Kiss pinball machine as well. There's one that I absolutely have to talk about, though. One pinball machine I have to talk about. Uh, the Pinball Circus. Have you heard of that one, Jimmy G? I have not. Neither did I, but I did a walkthrough video of the... What's the name? Oh, yeah, the Pinball Hall of Fame, and uh, I did it live on Facebook. Um, if any of you are not on Facebook but are interested in... In seeing this video, uh, send an email to us at piefactory at fab4it.com. That's F-A-B, the number 4-I-T.com. And uh, actually, I'll see if I can put it on YouTube. Um, But anyway, in that walkthrough, while I was doing the walkthrough, somebody commented. I I don't remember who it was, but I know Scott uh, at Underground Retrocade chimed in and emphasized it. But somebody said, you have to check out Pinball Circus. Wow, that is a piece of work. Holy good God almighty. And uh, I did some Googling on the pinball circus, and most of the hits I got are people saying, yeah, it's not really all that great. It's it's kind of boring. No, it's not. You guys are full of s***. It is a fun, amazing pinball game. Um, As much as I hate clowns and everything, because, yeah, I... (laughs) I'm scared to death of clowns. I don't want anything to do with them, but there are a couple of clowns involved in the pinball machine, but it's actually pretty cool. It has something like, I think, four possible levels, four different fields. You start out on the bottom one, and there's like a little mechanical thing that takes the pinball and kind of elevates it to the next level, and there's another set of flippers up there. 
and if you hit the sweet spot on those flippers, it sends the ball to the next level up. And if you hit the sweet spot there, I think the it, it, the, uh, the ball moves over to a clown face with its own set of flippers. And you, I, I didn't get that far, but the thing is just amazing. You, I, I, tr- I wanted to get video of that in action. So some guy who was just walking around, I flagged him over and asked him if he would video me. And uh, he videoed me playing, I think, uh, one game. I guess I didn't want it to take up too much of his time. I said, I'm just, I just want to get And then he ran off done. with your phone. No. No, because he knew oh, damn he well that I had. Uh, I I have find my iPhone enabled. So if somebody were to, um, I'd find them and uh, kick their ass. But um, anyway, it's seriously an amazing. I, I thought Haunted House was great because I heard Ferg talk about it. And then I saw it at Midwest Gaming Classic. I was like, oh, my uh-huh. God, he's not kidding. Man, Pinball Circus blows it out of the water. And apparently it's not even really finished because a lot of the, it was uh, designed by Python Angelo, the late Python Angelo, whose Ooh, uh, biggest yes. claim to fame is what? Oh, gosh, what the heck was it? He he uh, was at Williams during the the golden age of arcade games. Oh jeez! And oh, he designed the uh, he was the artist behind Joust. That's it. Yes, 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 yes. But yes. yeah, he designed uh, the Pinball Circus for Midway, and Midway only made two copies of Pinball Circus, just two. And the Pinball Hall of Fame in Vegas has one of them. And um, somebody told me that the owner at the Pinball Hall of Fame was offered 150000 for that pinball machine, and he turned oh, wow. it down. Wow. Yeah, you were showing, you, you recorded, as you were just saying, you recorded the video of it. I was looking at it, and it's it's one of those deals where it just doesn't look, just from what I saw, it just, it, it didn't look fascinating. So I'm, I'm, I'm That's because you're wrong. Well, no, 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 no. Oh, hear me out here, hear me out. There's a lot of times when something you look you look at something or watch a video and it's nowhere near as amazing as it is being with it in person. The delicate arch at Arches National Park, I think, is one of those things. You see the thing and it's like, uh, oh, that's neat, but it's not that big. But then okay, you go I to see it in you person. there, like Grand Canyon. I found the same thing. You see what I'm saying? So um, I would love to get out there and try it because it does sound interesting. And uh, oh, by the way, um, I just. Uh, a Facebook message do a picture of a flyer for uh, the two-player gauntlet cabinet, and uh, that is exactly what it looked like at at uh, the Arcadia uh, um, Arcade in McLean, Illinois. Uh, it is a later release, and it's the ROM version three. I think they said, yes, revision three of the of the ROM, and it's uh, made for locations that uh, don't have quite as much space. So, uh, yeah. Hmm. I'm sure we'll have a link well, to that. That's in interesting. The show notes. Sure, and, we can uh, we can do that. Yeah. So that's it's kind of a slick looking cabinet, actually. Even for those only four player. Actually, not really. It's it's the it's a standard Atari uh, cabinet design. Actually, looking at it, but it's still kind of it's still kind of weird to see a two player gauntlet cabinet. Hmm. Never seen one before. Probably never see one again. I think they're but, the only yeah, place think, that has that actually. But hey, if you're out in McLean, Illinois. Take a trip there if you're out in um, Las Vegas. Actually, okay, te- I don't think technically the Pinball Hall of Fame is in the city of Las Vegas because I think the city of Las Vegas is like doesn't actually occur until you reach downtown on the Strip. This might yeah. be like Winchester or Paradise or something, but if you say Vegas, it's still going to get you there. Um, like people don't realize most of the Las Vegas Strip actually isn't in Las Vegas. Yeah, it's either in Paradise or Winchester. 
mm-hmm. or unincorporated Clark County. Yeah. But yeah, the Pinball Hall of Fame, highly recommend it. Um, I took some pictures of it and I posted it in our, I think I posted pictures of it in our Facebook group. If I didn't, I certainly will. Um, and I will make the album public so that um, it can be reachable for people who don't use Facebook. When I got in there, there was a family who walked in at the same time and uh, one of the owners came out and gave a little spiel. And I think I heard her say that um, it is run entirely by volunteers so no one's making oh, wow. any money off of it and any money they do make gets donated to the salvation army oh that's cool and um it's not gonna be the most elegant looking place in the world it's very rustic and uh all, most of the video games i saw there were not in the best shape in the world like so, there were some screen issues uh most of the marquees weren't on um things like that So you're going to see a mixture of things that work beautifully and things that are literally not working at all. And, uh, it's, uh, but keep in mind they're run on a volunteer basis and, uh, they have a workshop, right? You you can see their workshop right in the back where they work on everything. It's out in the open. So that's that's interesting to look to, to look at there. And something I have to point out, and I know we've mentioned this about underground retrocade and galloping ghosts, but this is also true of the pinball hall of fame. They had two different um, Captain Fantastic pinball machines uh, that's a a tie-in with Elton John's Captain Fantastic and the Brown Dirt Cowboy album. There was Mm -hmm. the regular version, and then there was a smaller version that was made for home use. Um, So I tried, yeah. And interesting. And something that I noticed, I noticed this at at Silverball in Asbury Park, New Jersey, and the same is true at uh, Pinball Hall of Fame is that if you play the like seventies and sixties pinball machines, they're just plain old pinball machines with just with skins on them. They have nothing to do with anything. They're just plain old pinball machines. And the thing is like the home equivalents to the like arcade pinball machines are boring. They're monotonous and everything, but I played the home captain fantastic pinball machine anyway. And I noticed that I was getting that I, whenever I, I lost a pinball, I kept getting a new one and I'm thinking the hell I'm sure I lost three already. I looked down and the, the little card on it said that it's five balls per play plus whatever bonuses you get. Turns out that the uh, bonus light was stuck on. So I was getting unlimited numbers of pinballs, <laughs> unlimited lives. And um, if you will, I figured, you know, what the hell? Let's see if I can roll the score over. So I did, and I got video of myself rolling the score over. And then as soon as I did, I stopped the recording, and then I found someone who were, I think it was the same lady who did the little spiel when I walked in. And I told her, I said, hey, I just want you guys to know the home version of the Captain Fantastic pinball machine um, seems to be stuck on extra ball. So gameplay never exists. She stopped everything and ran over to it and checked it out. So I thought that was really cool. They have that they sweet have that attention to detail there. But uh, yeah, that's what I had to say about um, the uh, Pinball Hall of Fame. Uh, that's really the only game related stuff that I have done. I haven't been to any arcades since. I haven't even turned on my Atari seventy eight hundred, my beloved Atari seventy eight hundred, since I've been back. So my gaming has been very minimum. I've just played one of our games in MAME, and that was it. <laughs> yeah, I, I've i had a lot of personal stuff going on, too, recently. And when I say personal, I mean I hate my damn car. Um, so, yeah, there's that. But um, 
So, yeah, that's been, like, keeping me busy trying to figure stuff out with that. But I got things pretty much figured out now. Just just a matter of time at this point. Yeah, and, and the thing is, like, I came so close to finally going to, uh, to replay, which is the uh, beer cade that is in my own neighborhood, walking distance from my apartment. Because my wife said, hey, let's go there. I heard that the food's really great. And, she's, and she said, and you can nerd it up if you want. So, And uh, we kind of <laughs> forgot to do that. Oops. Oh, well, there are, we will get there. There are still so many uh, beer cades and arcades in the Chicago area that we have yet oh my to God, get to. Yeah. I've been to what? Two, I think. I haven't even been to Logan Arcade yet. You've been and to I'm three. I'm always. I've been to Headquarters. I've been to Emporium. And oh, okay. Oh, okay. I was thinking else? of the original three, but. And I think. The, I the think. Um, I think Emporium actually bought out Headquarters. Really? I think I they think did. You're right, actually. I get in a lot of uh, event ev- invites on my Facebook page uh, from Emporium. Yeah. And that's a oh, place I would oh, like to check out. And, and we have been totally neglecting to mention a new arcade that opened up outside of Milwaukee. Oh, yes. And we've been yes. neglecting it for so long that's technically not really yet new anymore. The Garcade. Mm-hmm. Where was it? In Menominee? Menominee Falls, Wisconsin? I believe so. I believe it's Menominee. Dun, 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 dun. I, yep, I knew that was going to come up. Dun, dun, I dun, drop dun. in the appropriate... Uh... <laughs> yes, and I remember when uh, we was when I was going around... Um... Yeah, Menominee fact, Falls. Yeah, okay. They were, uh, I think they had a table set up right near Scott's at yeah, the Yeah, I think they did, at, yes. I mean, let me rephrase that. Right near uh, Underground Retrocade. Well, we, 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 we need to, we, I need to start using the name of the business because Scott, you know, I've got a cousin named Scott. Maybe our people could start showing up at his house. I don't know. Yeah, or but, my brother's house. Yeah, no kidding. But no, under, they were, uh, I think their table's located right near Underground Retrocade and they had a great sticker that I had to buy. I have yet to put it on my car, but, uh, it, it was a fundraiser to help raise money to get the arcade going. It's a, uh, and it said, make arcades great again. And I'm like, okay, I'm buying that. <laughs> but they are great again. Well, they've never stopped being great, but let's, I would say, uh, make. I wouldn't go that far. Well, maybe. Uh, you know what? Make arcades greater again. But, uh, and I, I enjoyed think, that. I think the Garcade is run by one of the guys who runs Midwest Gaming Classic. Not Dan Lucen, but the other guy. You whose name I right. forget. I'm so sorry. We uh, do. You know what we should do is when we go up to Midwest Gaming Classic again, see if we can't get some time over there. They, I know they'll probably yeah. be busy at the Classic, but it's. I'm sure they'll still have some. Okay. The yeah, they'll probably take a few games out and bring it to the Midwest Gaming Classic. But I'm sure it will be stepped. Kind of like how Scott was at Midwest Gaming Classic, but Underground Retrocade was still open. Oh yeah. They, well, yeah. They got to keep their main revenue stream open. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So uh, yeah, we got to get up there. And it, the thing is with Milwaukee, it's not terrible far. I mean, it's no. I mean, it's it, surprisingly it, quick to get here to get to at least from my place. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's exactly ninety miles between downtown Chicago and downtown Milwaukee. That's not the suburban area. That's downtown, and they purposely built the Six Flags Great America theme park. Exactly forty-five miles ah. from downtown Milwaukee and downtown Chicago, uh, in Gurney, Illinois. It's almost exactly forty-five miles. Or let me rephrase that: it's almost exactly halfway between the downtown of both cities, and that's why they built it there. Which was really brilliant. Uh, just mm. wish they would well have played, more room. Lemon. 
but uh, so yeah, we got to hit. We got to hit up there. We need to make a day oh, of yeah. Milwaukee because Milwaukee's got a lot of neat things to to see and do. Yeah. Actually, to be honest, Old World Third Street in, in Milwaukee. Oh, you here want we your go. German food. Yeah, you got your cheese. You got your German chocolate. You got your, your German cheese. sausages. You got the chocolate cheese, which I have not had in a long time, which is bloody brilliant stuff. If I might use a word that they use on ten pence. What biscuits? It's bloody, bloody biscuits. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's. Uh, but, but anyway, yeah. uh, the Garcade is at North 85 West 15920 Appleton Avenue, Menominee Falls, Wisconsin. But yeah, so hey, uh, let me strike this off of the things that we forgot to talk about list right there. Um, um, we talked about, uh, see, Kurt Musgrave. Well, oh, you know what? There is something important I have to, I don't know if, the, if now's the time because this is like for the listeners, but we're, but we should, we should talk about this off the air. Um, I'm looking for an attorney. Um, I'm going to see if the electronic frontier foundation can help us. Um, we're not in trouble or anything, but it's just to cover our asses because I think Hyde's kind of, um, hmm. a little bit pissed off about something. Oh, so, um, yeah, and it's kind of uh, my fault because the Jeff Lee interview that we – the uh, King George the Third interview that we did, um, mm-hmm. that was actually a crossover episode with Pie Factory Podcast and the Atari 7800 Podcast. Hyde is kind of loudly hinting that he wants that to count as two separate episodes since mm. it was used in two different podcasts. And I'm trying to fight it. Um, I have the contract that uh, Hyde signed, and I'm trying to look for loopholes. And I want to have a lawyer look over it just to make sure that we're not in any trouble. We um, only gave him one MP3 file, or actually wave file. We didn't give I, him any yeah. others, so that's one episode. And we actually did the synchronization ourselves, which saved yeah. him a lot of time. So I'm kind of trying to use that as leverage. He should technically get half pay for that one. Yeah, right, right. But... um but yeah, I mean, and the thing is, like, his un- he had a union rep on my ass, too, about that, which is weird. I don't think that's relevant because he was not a union. He was not a union employee when we hired him. Hmm. He's only joined the union since he got that job, I think, at the MeTV station. I think that's where he works. You but- know what, though? I think the union, he, uh, if I'm not mistaken, though, I think the union rep came from Drinker's Local 50. So. Hmm. Oh, okay. So, hmm. But, uh,. So yeah, we got that. Uh, we get we we might have to sit down with Hyde. Um, but Hyde, take all this out. It's not relevant. the The listeners don't need to hear that. Uh, but uh, it's just between us, okay? All right. But uh, hey, um, you know what? I think it's time to open up our newest segment called "Everything We Know About the Atari Box." Can we open up that segment, please? It's time for another edition of "Everything We Know About the Atari Box." Uh, Jimmy G, uh, have you learned anything new? About the Atari box. No, but I wanted to bring something up. I was actually doing a search earlier today for more information on the Atari box, and uh, there's nothing new here. But uh, I just wanted to uh, read some of the uh, some of the great headlines uh, that uh, ever since the announcement was made <laughs> of from all over the internet about the Atari box. <clears throat> So I'm just going to go down the list here of about maybe 10 or 12 of them. They're, these are just ones that I just did a Google search for. All right. <clears throat> AMD semi-custom silicon may power Atari's all-new Atari box. That was from Hot Hardware. What is the Atari box and how can I get one? Expert reviews. 
The games Wait, you want to see. How can they be an expert on it when the damn thing isn't even out yet? The world may never know. <sighs> the games we want to see on Atari's new Atari Box console by the website Stuff. The Atari Box has been confirmed. What can we expect by game transfers? Atari's new Atari Box console will be like an NES classic by The Verge. <laughs> I love this one. Is Atari poised to reshape the console gaming market by Real Gear? This is a good one from The Verge. Atari teases a, mi- a mysterious new console or something, uh, again from The Verge. What's inside the Atari box? We pieced together all the clues by Digital Trends. And this one's my mm. absolute favorite. My absolute favorite headline. Atari could disrupt the game console market with the upcoming Atari box. That is in Forbes. Hmm. I never did go to page two. Let's see what we got here. Est ce que le project de console Atari box est déjà mort? Misa a jour. That is from gamefocus.com. Todo lo que sabemos de Atari Box, that's from Chilango. Let me see here. The Atari Box is a confusing retro revival console with more power, that's COG connected. Atari is teasing something called an Atari Box, that's a good one. <laughs> but yeah, I saw the one from Forbes about how disrupting the, the, uh, the console market. <laughs> yeah, as long as we're dreaming, I'd like a pony. But mm. uh, there you go. It, it, I, I really hope I'm wrong. Thing. I really hope I'm wrong, and the Atari box is an awesome new thing. But disrupting the game console market, mm, I don't see that. I happening. don't think so, Tim. But yeah, so remember, Atari could disrupt the game col- game console market with the upcoming Atari box. Forbes said that on July twenty first, two thousand seventeen. So we wow. will see. Oh, month has gone by, and has anything happened? I I don't know. No uh, new news, I, but. Uh, I don't have anything for everything we know about the Atari box, so let's close everything we know about the Atari box. So this has been... Everything we know about the Atari box. All right. And as long as we're talking about Atari, did you hear about this uh, lawsuit? No, do tell. Do tell as I take a drink from my lemonade here from a Whole Foods Market, a brewing legend since 1867. Uh Uh-huh. Atari filed lawsuit against Nestle because they have a... uh, a commercial for Kit Kats in which uh, the oh, bars yeah. on Breakout okay. look like Kit Kat bars, and Atari is suing them over that. And that, I'm sorry, no, Atari, you cannot afford to be suing people right now. Knock it off. Well, it's kind of a lose lose situation because if they don't sue over it, they could lose what rights they have to the Breakout property. Very true. Because all someone has to do is do it again later on, and Atari sues them. And then they turn around and say, well, wait a minute, Atari didn't do anything about these people who also did a breakout knockoff, and all the judge has to do is say, ooh, good point, not guilty. But how many breakoff, breakout knockoffs have there been? That Breakout knockoffs that did not look anything unlike the original. Things that look ex- almost exactly the same. I That's a good point. I mean, I would say that ship has sailed. It's kind of like the Space Invaders situation we talked about back in that episode. How does every console have a version of Space Invaders? You know? Well, we do know that um, Taito just did not... Do, there was something about Taito. They just did not do something properly, which kind of left it open for everybody to do. But also something else to think about is, yeah, there are a million billion breakout clones out there on every conceivable platform... 
And um, how many of them are actually making money, though? That's something else you got to consider. And of the ones that are making money, we don't know. They might have Atari's blessing for that, for all we know. That's entirely possible. Oh, yeah, and uh, one other bit of Atari news. Uh, they just released a, uh, a baseball cap with speakers in the, in the brim. So, there you go. Yay. Yay. <sighs> so, um... Not my Atari. I remember I started that hashtag a while back, a couple years ago, maybe. And, uh, not my Atari. So. And, of course, all these news stories that are... I mean, ever, people who listen to this p- podcast probably are already well aware that it is Atari in name only. Mm-hmm. And th- you know what? The thing that I think sucks the most is Infogrames uh, took them over years ago. Then they went bankrupt and sold off a lot of properties. I think it's still technically in Infogrames, but there's just so, so much. There's just so many things that uh, Atari over years have has like been broken up. It's just kind of weird. But the thing is, Infogrames. Back in the 16-bit era of home computers, made some really good games. Uh, I remember one called Hostages, which I really enjoyed on my Atari ST. And um, you know they had a, you know a decent track record. And then they buy Atari. I mean, granted, Atari was at bargain basement prices, and you know, hey, recognizable name. Who wouldn't buy it? You know what I'm saying? But uh, I don't know. It is what it is. That's all. All that it is. Oh, it is. Oh, other news. Other news we have to talk about. Oh. Our mates at Tenpence Arcade Podcast, they are looking to collect as many, from as many different people, your favorite arcade games. I think they want, was it the top five? So mm-hmm. we'll put a link to their survey in our show notes. They're going to ask you for your email address just to make sure that... Um, you're not a robot. You're not a robot and that they're actually because, getting different people. Yeah, because they don't want people you know jamming their email with um you know votes for tinkle pit and i'm not saying you should do that unless you really do like tinkle pit that much of course and i'm sure people do like tinkle pit that much and i'm sure they also like um, uncle Pooh that much as well oh of course yes yeah Hmm? uncle seriously uncle Pooh is a fun game it really is it just got repetitive but go to their site i'll put a link in the show notes and vote for your top five and um anybody else you know who has ever played a lot of arcade games over the past 30 some years have have them do it too. Mm-hmm. I th- what did they, what did uh, what did they say I think they were trying to get like as up to 500 if at all possible. Something yeah, some insane number. Some, something huge. Well, and, but then again though, remember though they're in the UK so that would be 500 metric opinions. Oh, that's true. Yes. Yeah, yeah and the exchange so that, rate that is would actually that, actually that would be a lot more a uh, lot more opinions than uh, than 500 imperial opinions. Yeah, that's right. It's they don't want. It's not O P I N I O N. It's O P I N I O N N E over there. Oh, I thought they just called them biscuits. Well, that might be true too. Maybe I, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm American. Um, and I've and here in American, they're called opinions. Overseas, they're called biscuits. Don't ask me why. Okay. All right. Yeah. Okay. I one thing I got to say. I just oh, went wait. To the why website. are they called biscuit? Oh, never mind. Never mind. <laughs> I just went to the uh, the Arcadia. Uh, website actually the the name of the place is Arcadia uh, Playable Arcade Museum. First of all, it's a beautiful facility that they got, and um, according to Orcade, they got like a hundred or they got like ninety seven machines. Now they don't have them all on display, obviously. Yeah, they probably rotate. But they oh, got them, 
dude, that was, that was my one disappointment. I really, really, really wanted to play Cubert's Cubes because I saw that listed on Orcade.com for a Pinball Hall of Fame. It wasn't out, but it's still Uh-oh. listed there. So I was like, no. I mean, yeah, I could just drive like half. Well, I uh, if assuming there's no construction, which there's a lot of right now, I could just take a half hour drive down 55 and Lakeshore Drive, and I, I'm at Galloping Ghost. But, uh, you know, mm-hmm. semantics. Semantics. And, um, oh, wow. Um, Arcadia, according to the website, their website is vintagevideogames.com, um, Arcadia Playable Arcade Museum, they actually have an arcade-themed bed and breakfast. Seriously? There are, there are a lot of bed and breakfasts down in southern Illinois. This one's uh, just south of just south of Bloomington, but uh, oh, so it's not uh, that far it's, south. I guess more like sleeps central. up to six. Uh, located in the same building as the arcade at the other end of the building, include four multi-game style arcade games, all on free play, and contain okay, uh, a nice Adams Family pinball loaded with free credits, uh, twenty-five cents per play after used up, uh, TV kitchenette with free drinks, popcorn, and coffee, and a spiral staircase leading to a small kids' loft with their own high-to-bed couch and a fifty-five inch HD TV. Holy cow, they're on Airbnb. I gotta look at this. Uh, color my interest peaked. Oh, wow. Peaked is a color, ladies and gentlemen. Hotel Arcadia. Hmm. How much a night? Uh, $215 a night. Yeah. Weekend price. Oh, weekend uh, price. Yeah, I'm seeing w- for, from 175 a night. Okay. Which is the, to be expected for a bed and breakfast kind of place. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, bed and breakfast usually. Duh, breakfast. So, uh... Yeah. Still, it looks and, like uh, a nice oh, facility. Oh, hey, there there it says, from 175 a night. Let's view the photos. I want to see what they got and, so, and hey, since we keep coming back to Arcadia, uh, there's one more place worth mentioning to some people, I'm sure. It's called the Catcade, which oh. is uh, somewhere in the Lakeview neighborhood of Chicago. The primary emphasis is not games; it's cats. Basically, you go there cats? if you want to see cats. If you want to like, like the musical, no, I'm allergic to cats, and I probably would rather have actual cats than to see that Andrew Lloyd Webber thing. But yeah, you go if you're a cat person and you want to like give some cats some affection. You can go to this place, and they have some multicades in there that you can play. Uh huh. So yeah, that's all I got to say. Number one, I don't like multicades. Number two. I'm allergic to cats, so yeah. Uh, Jimmy G, you're going to do the walkthrough video there. Hey, where was this at again? Somewhere in the Lakeview neighborhood, like somewhere. Really? Which is uh, those of you who don't who who don't frequent Chicago, a uh, Lakeview is the neighborhood where Wrigley Field is. The Catcade. The cats were happy and playful, and the owners are great. This is definitely a good place. Nine reviews. This is a cute spot on Belmont. That is an amazing place to. To visit oh, or of course it's cats. on Belmont. We stopped by their, T-H-E-I-R, soft stopped launch of the there. Cat Rescue Arcade. Uh, the mission, da, 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 definitely, cute. oh, here's a three-star review. Cute cats, friendly stuff and everything, but this is neither a cafe nor an arcade. This is a shelter that charges $15 to go in, unlike Paws, and where free drinks are just canned soda or bottled soda, which I don't understand. Da, 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 da. Okay, I'm, I'm not going to read full the negative review, but I just wanted to find some... Uh, what do they got? This is a really fun time, and it is for a great cause. Well, you know what? I'm all for any sort of arcade that's for a great cause. So this is definitely something we'll have to check out. Or I guess I'll well, have to check out because yeah, you don't yeah, like cats. After all, I, on account, I'm allergic to cats. 
True. They got a website too, thecatcade.org. We still got to figure out a way to make a trip to that, uh, the arcade uh, down in southern Indiana that was run by um, uh, the guy from Survivor who ran for governor of Indiana and the Libertarian ticket. Um, Rupert. Yeah. Rupert. Rupert. Rupert's, uh, Rupert's Kids Arcade, I think it's called. And um, Yeah, I, I just can't wait to go out. to southern Indiana. Could be worse. You could be going to Kankakee. Yeah, okay, all right, I see your point. See, I silenced you there. So, at any rate, yeah, Kate, oh, they j- actually just had their grand opening four days uh, before we recorded. Oh, really? Huh. Yes. So, uh, oh, they got, it looks like they got a video on YouTube, and so there you go. They got, uh, oh, they sell can koozies. All right, you know, I definitely got to check this out. This sounds interesting. So, all righty. All right, so, um, all right, I think that's all for news. Um. Oh, uh, one other last thing about uh, the Arcadia Pinball Museum. Then we go back there again. Uh, right, fine, I will website, move there. According to their website, it says Pinball Paradise is now OPEM. O-P-E-M. So, mm. yeah. Just, I like pointing out little misspellings on websites. Mm. So I, I want to get that back there and uh, actually meet the owner of the joint. But um, anyway, so all the news is gone now, I think. Uh, do we have anything more about Arcadia? Uh, no. Okay, so hey, you know what? Um, Let's open up Addenda and Errata. You know, I'm going to have to work on a new version of the Addenda and Errata theme uh, to really? make it sound like, uh, sound like Danger Death Ray. Addenda hmm. and Errata, Addenda and Errata. Oh, no. Um, we don't want to do that because the bop it up it song is... Like our hold music, kind of like uh, yeah, that's true. So, and we that's don't want true. we don't want nothing but bopping uh, up and in our den, in our show. So. Da and Arata. I mean, hey, you composed the existing love theme from Aden and Arata. That's true, I did. Own it, own it. Be that's proud true. of it. Maybe I'll make a remix, a dance mix. Or hey, get together with Andy Ryerson and see if he can do a heavy metal version. Oh, oh, a death metal version of it. I can see it. That's the horror version of it. Horror. Horror version of it. Anyway, I think, um, I don't think we really have much except for kind of an addendum. It's kind of a clarification. Uh, when we interviewed um, King George III, uh, the graphic artist behind um, Qbert and Krull and uh, other things, um, Jeff Lee, um, you had mentioned going to a video game party that one of our friends slash yeah, Patreon and I was drawing a blank to. on the. I was drawing a blank on the name at the time. Yeah. Um, do we want to keep it private, just to make sure he doesn't get like tracked down with boards and nails or anything? They pelted us with rocks and garbage. Yeah. Uh, maybe we should. Okay. Yeah. Uh, if if you do want to be uh, um, revealed, just let us know. You know who you are. But um, basically, we heard back from him. Just wanted to. He just wanted to clarify. He said, uh, "To be clear, I did not get a crawl cab and put a sixty and one board in it. The cab I have was gutted completely by its original owner, and said guts were transplanted into a repro cab. All I got at the time was the shell and the back door. No hardware, no control panel, no bolts. I picked it up for free from the original owner and built it up." I was considering making it a crawl cab, but the control panel, especially the joysticks, are near impossible to come by, and the board set isn't exactly cheap either. 
so I figured that the best solution was to make a two-player main cab instead with the monitor in proper orientation and with joysticks spaced far enough apart that playing crawl with the run-and-fire setup was still possible. So uh, thank you, um, mystery um, host of Video Game Party, for your feedback in that regard. Yes, thank you very much. Um, Jimmy G, do you have any addenda and errata? No, no, not at all. No, not at all. Okay, do we have any other feedback from anybody that I might have missed? Nope. Well, good. Let's talk about a game then. Why don't we do that? All right. So which one should we talk about? I would actually like to turn it over to you since I'm about to have a coughing fit and I need to drink some more of this fine lemonade from Whole Foods Market, a brewing legend since 1867. Uh, On account of my post-nasal drip. Ah, uh, crawl. Yes. Um, ah, uh, crawl. Ah, uh, crawl. Ah, uh, crawl. Yay, crawl. Yes, crawl. Go. Um, so, crawl is based on the movie of the same name, the July 29th, 1983 uh, movie of the same name. Uh, that's actually when it was released in the U.S., uh, 27th of December, 1983 in the U.K. The movie is 121 minutes long and directed by a guy named Peter Yates, who I don't know anything else he directed, but let me just click the link. And uh, what did he direct? Um, oh, uh, The Saint, uh, the TV show, Summer Holiday, da 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 da, da. Let me see if I can't find... Oh, he directed the movie Mother Jugs and Speed. With, that's with uh, Bill Cosby and uh, Raquel Welch. Uh, the Deep. Oh, he directed Breaking Away. I did not know that. Uh, Eyewitness, Kroll, The Dresser, uh, Year of the Comet. And the last thing he did was a TV movie called A Separate Piece in 2004. And he died in 2000, 2011, unfortunately. But yeah, he has a, he has a few actually uh, pretty good titles uh, that he directed. Interesting. So, at any rate, yes. Uh, I'm just going to read from the uh, from the Kroll game manual. This is the manual that come that came with the machine and actually had a pretty nice, uh, pretty interesting cover on the manual, I thought. But I've thought wrong things before. Ooh, wiring diagrams. Those are always fun. I'm almost as unprepared as I was for our very first episode. Theory of operation. Here's an interesting part of the... Uh, manual I've never seen before. This is why radio stations have a seven second delay. Actually, no, not really. Yeah, not really. It's actually six seconds. Builds up a tenth of a second for every second that passes, and by the time a minute passes, it's a full. The only reason I said seven second delay is because Donald Fagan, on his brilliant album, The Nightfly, has the song The Nightfly, which is about a guy working the late shift at a uh, radio station and he talks about the seven-second delay. <clears throat> Gameplay and scoring. How to play. This is directly from the Gottlieb manual. The left joystick controls the movement of the player character, Colwyn. He can be moved in any one of eight directions. The right joystick controls the movement of the player's weapon, the glaive. Uh, to use a joke that they did on Starcade. I glaive at the office. Ha! Ha! That was actually Glaving. on the... Laven, that was actually on the 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 Kroll episode of Starcade. Anyway, oh, <clears throat> I got to tell you, um, I'm jumping a little bit ahead of us here, but when I was a child back in the early '80s, and uh, my childhood best friend and I, we used to hang out and play Atari all the time. Sometimes we go to his house play in television, but uh, we had borrowed the Atari 2600 Crawl video game from my neighbor, and 
he would constantly refer to the glaive as the crawl stick because he couldn't think of the, the word glaive. <laughs> and even after I told him, it's dude, it's called a glaive, he's like, I don't care. I can't remember that word. I'm just going to call it a crawl stick. Well, they can't say Sylvester, George. <laughs> I don't know why I thought of that. Okay. Sorry. The right joystick controls the movement of the player's weapon, the glaive. It can be thrown in any one of eight directions. Uh, four, four glaives can be in flight at any one time and will return to Colwyn with a boomerang-type action. The one and two player select buttons are also located on the panel. Kroll uh, consists of five sub-games. The mountain game, the swamp game, the fortress game, the hexagon game, and the beast game. Hmm, that sounds weird. Uh, the player must accomplish a task in each of the five games with each with eight levels of difficulty in each. All eight levels can be reached in one task based on the time spent performing that task, amount of time spent on that subgame. The total number of lethal characters on the screen at one time increases as the levels increase. From the sky will come the Black Fortress. From the fortress will come the Slayers to devour the planet of Kroll. Then shall a girl of ancient name become queen, and the king she chooses shall rule the planet. And future events like these will affect us in the future. The planet Krull is threatened by the beast. His army of slayers has brought terror to the land. Colwyn must stop this terror and save the land and its people. On the day Colwyn is to be is to wed the princess Lyssa, the slayers, army of the beast, kidnap her to become the beast's bride. Colwyn must reach the Black Fortress and reclaim his princess. He who marries the princess shall be king. The beast must not be allowed to rule the planet. A prophet acquaints Colwyn with the magical properties of the glaive, a five-bladed sword which Colwyn must acquire. To accomplish this task, he must climb the mountain and collect the five individual blades of the glaive in order to assemble the weapon. The blade is picked up by touching Colwyn to the blade. That's an awkward sentence. Boulders are fatal and must be avoided. The weapon joystick is not utilized in this subgame. The player is awarded 1,000 points for each blade picked up. Points are also awarded for placing Colwyn in a dangerous position in front of one or more boulders. Interesting. I did not notice that. Uh, that could be a point-pressing thing. During his travels to discover the Black Fortress, Colwyn comes upon an army of eight men that he befriends and recruits to help him in his quest to destroy the beast so that Kroll can be safe from his evil. With no intentions of losing his newly acquired bride without bloodshed, the beast orders an army of slayers to stop Colwyn and his friends. Forging through the quicksand-riddled swamps, slayers materialize from the soil and Colwyn prepares for battle. In the second subgame, Colwyn must save as many friends as possible while killing all of the Slayers. The friends are saved by touching them, and the Slayers are destroyed by the Glaive. The Slayers themselves and their spears must be avoided. The game begins with eight friends. The number of friends saved is the number of friends carried over into future subgames. Will affect you in the future. It seemed more appropriate there. The friends can eliminate the slayers with hand-to-hand -hand combat, but can also be destroyed themselves. Receiving three blows either by hand-to-hand -hand or by the slayer's spear is fatal to the friends. The subgame ends when there are no longer any friends to save and all of the slayers have been eliminated. Avoid quicksand as it slows Colwyn's attack. Each friend saved awards 1,000 points. Maximum 8,000 points, and 100 points for each slayer the player eliminates. After days of travel, Colwyn and his men have found the Black Fortress in the Iron Desert where many dangers await them. 
While attempting to lead his men through the dangerous narrow passageways that lead to the fortress, Slayers materialize once again in a second attempt to stop Colwyn's struggle. In this third sub-game, Colwyn must pick up all of his friends and deposit them safely into the hexagon while com combating the Slayers. Pick up all of your friends and deposit them safely into the hexagon. Another interesting phrase. The total number of friends in this subgame is equal to the total number of friends saved in subgame 2. This subgame concludes when all of the friends have been delivered to the hexagon. The player is awarded 1,000 points for each friend delivered to the hexagon, 100 points for each slayer he destroys, and 100 points for each slayer remaining when the last friend is delivered to the hexagon. Victorious in battle, Colwyn must now attempt to release his friends from the hexagon. Unlike entry, exiting the hexagon is a struggle deserving of its own merits. Okay, now that sentence was actually a little more uh, dramatic than it needs to be in this game manual, actually. Once again, Colwyn must call upon the power of the glaive. Release of his friends is accomplished by throwing the glaive at the front wall while it is black only. Any glaive striking the wall while it is not black will stick in the wall until the wall becomes black. The Slayers, of course, attempt to stop Colwyn's efforts. In his own attempt for survival, Colwyn must fight them off and avoid their spears. The subgame ends when the last black wall is broken through and the friends have escaped. The player is awarded 100 points for each Slayer he puts an end to, 100 points for each Slayer remaining when the friends are set free, and 1,000 points for the first black wall destroyed, 2,000 points for the second, 3,000 points for the third, and 4,000 points for the fourth. Now inside the Black Fortress, Colwyn secedes from his friends in order to rescue the Princess Lyssa. He finds her in a large cave carefully guarded by the beast. He knows that the only way to reclaim his bride and conserve the planet is to forge into battle with the beast. In the fifth subgame, the player moves Colwyn towards the princess in order to reach her. As he progresses, the beast attempts to stop him by throwing fireballs at him. The fireballs, which are nowhere near as powerful as tinkerballs, must be avoided or destroyed by the glaive. If not destroyed, the fireballs will ricochet off of the walls. Destroying a fireball awards the player 100 points multiplied by the number of fireballs in flight. The beast is momentarily stunned when hit with a glaive and awards the player 100 points. The beast cannot be destroyed and the player must avoid touching him. When Colwyn reaches the princess, his friends following the pandemonium of the battle appear and chase the beast off, awarding 1,000 points per friend. The total number of friends in this subgame is equal to the total number of friends saved in subgame 2. Thus endeth the lesson. So, that is the story of Kroll, how to play it, and the scores. I wish I would have written that, but uh, I didn't. But uh, rather dramatic, as I said, for a... Uh, arcade game manual wouldn't you agree it sounded a lot more dramatic than i remember the game yeah indeed but um hey you know some interesting sentences in there i'm gonna have to go through back and parse this in fact i might just record this again just as a standalone without my commentary just as a treat for my friends i think i did again you're talking to a guy who does dramatic readings of ingredients on soup cans so He's not lying, by the way. No, I'm not. I have done this in the past. Send me a soup can and I'll uh, 
do a dramatic reading. So that's how you play the game. That's how I play the game. Well, no, that's how you're supposed that's to how play I played the game. the game. I'd be a much better crawl player. That is true. Um, I'm actually better at this game than you are somehow. I have no idea how. Um, yeah. Because you're better you're, at a lot of a lot of games than I am. Which is weird because you're the only one that has a world record on anything. Well, no, that's not entirely that's true. Right. We've got the world record on 7800 Space Duel, was it? Or was it Asteroids? Yeah, and Asteroids the Well thing. I, we, the video still hasn't been submitted yet. I gotta I gotta sit down and do that, but that's like oh, almost well. two years old. Yeah. Well, it's a year old. Oh yeah, it's, it's a year old. It's a it's thirteen months old. All right, but uh, so yes, that is an, is how you play crawl. And by the way, I'd like to interject with a quote from Howie Rubin, who was uh, one of the I think he's one of the VPs over at Gottlieb. Okay. He said, "Crawl was great. Too bad the movie sucked." There you go. And I have to agree. I I really like this game, but there's one the one thing that always gets me, especially when I was playing this lately, is the third game. The, there's not much difference between the second sub game and the third one. It's they're they're both kind of Robotronish in a way. Uh, Wait, hold on, hold on. Oh, yep, forgot. This week in Robotron. Okay. And really, with two joysticks, one to move and one to fire, you can you, you can't avoid the the obvious comparison to Robotron. But the the, the second sub game where you're trying to, to pick up your guys and have them not get killed by the the uh, the slayers. And I'm making the devil horn salute, even though that's Ronnie James Dio, but that's heavy metal. Um, but it, it it's it's very Robotronish, and uh, there's like poles in the uh, in that first screen you can run into, and and kind of like hampers your progress and stuff. Uh, but I mean it's all okay. Uh, but I I don't the third sub game is where you were getting hung up on, and when I was trying to play this last week, I think I had a few minutes. I played it. I I didn't really get a chance to play it a lot recently. But um, that third screen in the in the middle, there's like a bunch of like. Um, Diamond-shaped like rock up out rock outcroppings that you have to go through, and shoot your glaive through. If if you're you're shooting your weapon and it hits a stone wall, it'll just come right back to you. And the passages through that area with the diamond-shaped rocks are on a diagonal, and so you have to kind of and and they're not that wide, so you got to like get them in there. And a lot of times the slayers will pop up in there, and that is a real pain in the ass. And in fact, when I was playing it. Uh, I had some cheap deaths on that third screen where I would be moving around, I would get caught up on something, and then a Slayer would materialize out of the ground right on top of me. And I didn't care for that. And I'm surprised I never noticed this before when I'd played the game in the past. Because, like I said, I really like this game. The first time I ever played it, by the way, was at the uh, Aladdin's Castle Louis Joliet Mall. And um, I really liked the game, and I immediately picked picked up on it. It's not a hard game. And uh, I really like the visuals in it. I, I will admit the end sequence is kind of a bit of a letdown because it's... When you, when you get a game like this where you got like a boss character, you really want to see him get destroyed. But I will give the game credit in the sense that once you rescue Princess Lissa, um, he walks off the screen and you're off the screen. You don't kill him, which means he's just going to try to kidnap the princess again. So he can keep coming back. So at least you got a, a little nice continuity there with the exception of, uh, or not the exception, with, you know, in the stark contrast to like other games and like movies, it's like, oh, Jason is dead. They'll never make a sequel. Oh, the earth blew up. There's never, there's no way that they can make a, a third planet of the apes film. But so at least there's continuity there. 
you know, from round to round. But the visuals I really like, especially, I really always love the visuals on the boulder screen. I think Jeff Lee, when we were, I'm sorry, what, what did we call him? Uh, King George III? That's right. Yeah. Uh, I think he was saying that he wasn't quite pleased with, uh, with the, the graphics on that screen. And I have to disagree. I think they have kind of a nice little 3D-ish yeah, look to them. They're fine. Uh, them. There's nothing wrong with them. No, I think they're quite hey, fine. You're your own worst critic. That's all there is well, to Well, that's true. Everybody is. <laughs> you tell me that all the time <laughs> when it comes to this podcast. But um, I, I really enjoy that. And uh, that first screen is... I, I really like that first screen. It's, it's a lot of fun. It, it's not a good standalone game, but... I think really the biggest letdown sub-game is where you're just trying to shoot the guys out of the hexagon. Now, you said you never got to that one, but you're just standing in front of a hexagon, just waiting for the wall, boom, shoot, boom, shoot, you know, if you do it the five times. Now, one thing that the story didn't say is if you hit the, uh, the, the hexagon when it's not black, the front wall of the hexagon when it's not black, it um, will actually also bring some slayers out. And the second time around, there will be slayers on the screen, immediately on that screen. Oh, one thing I forgot to mention about the, the third, what did they call it, sub-game in the sequence. Um, not only do you have to pick up, touch your um, your friends, but then a hexagon will come out, and you have to then touch the hexagon to deliver them to the hexagon. Now, you can pick up all of your friends and then touch the hexagon or do them one by one or whatever. And there is a difficulty selection in the dip switches, which change where the hexagon comes out. Uh, first of all, you can uh, you can have a, a selection for three lives or five lives. And then they have the typical coins and credits and the difficulty. Uh, they have two selections, normal and hard. Um, then they have the hexagon control. Now, almost every machine I've seen have the hexagon set to roving so you'll pick up your um your friend but then you'll have to walk you'll have to the the hexagon will start moving around the screen and you have to you know walk to it the other selection is stationary which i don't think i've ever seen a machine set that to stationary and uh since i'm here you might i might as well uh list off the criteria for extra lives um not sure which the default setting is but i think it might be the first one on here where it's thirty thousand points for the first Extra life, and then every fifty thousand thereafter, and then you could set it to forty and forty thousand and fifty thousand, thirty thousand and thirty thousand. Maybe it's thirty and thirty. I don't know. Excuse me, and then fifty thousand and seventy-five thousand. Let me think here. There were no home ports of this game, although Atari did come out with a uh, a game uh, based on the movie, which is okay. I gotta. <laughs> I got to take issue with uh, with ArcadeHistory.com on this particular game because it says it was ported to the Atari 2600. It was not ported to any home console at all. Totally different game. Yes, it is a totally different game. No less fun. I I really enjoy uh, the 2600 crawl. Once you learn how to work the uh, the spider screen in that one, it's the game's a blast. It's got. Uh, it's got elements of adventure, uh, elements of uh, of breakouts, and um, maybe a little haunted house uh, thrown in there for good measure. It's really, I really enjoy it, and it was not a very well-selling game for Atari. In fact, I think I picked mine up when they were closing them out for four bucks. They had had it, they had it at the Toys R Us for the longest time, like for for four bucks, four or for, well, actually five bucks, and for like months and months and months. And I'm like, you're telling me I need to go buy this damn game. So I spent the five bucks, played it, and I'm like, oh, wow, this game kicks ass. 
uh, the first screen, and I'm not going to go into the 2600 game. I think, uh, uh, didn't Ferg already do Kroll on the 2600 Game by Game podcast? I think he did. I think he did. Uh, let's just say that the first sequence is kind of kaboomish in a way, where uh, the Slayers are, the princess is at the, uh, at the bottom of the screen, and the Slayers are coming down the screen, and you got to kill them all off before they reach the princess, and they have the uh, their, their, what they call their uh, neon spears, and um, and eventually the Slayers are going to get to, to the princess. There's just no way around it. Me and my brother would just purposely play the game, that first screen, just to see who could rack up a bigger score on that first sequence. That first sequence alone is in, in the 2600 version is brilliant. So... Um, there you go with that. But anyway, enough of that one. So yeah, that was the only other game. Uh, they, there was a Kroll pinball machine uh, made by Gottlieb as well, but I have never seen that. So, um, O'Shaughnessy, uh, what do you have? To, oh, no, I'm sorry. What was your name today? It was... Uh, Second Sean. Second Sean. Very much. Second Sean, what do you have to say about Kroll? Kroll is... Uh, I got I have mixed feelings towards Kroll. I have fun playing it, but I cannot get... I can barely get into the third screen at all before I'm mm-hmm. dead. And the thing is, I think a lot of that is, well, a lot of that is absolutely my fault because I keep seeing the glaive coming back to me. I keep thinking I'm getting fired at. So I run away from it and I shouldn't be doing that. It's, you know, it's perfectly safe, but, uh, I like the movement of it. I like the playability. I like the graphics, like the sound. There's nothing not to like about it. Really? I mean, I don't know what more to say. I haven't really, I've never actually played the arcade version of it. I've only played it in MAME. And uh, I never even actually saw the game in person until Galloping Ghost got it. I remember absolutely seeing it on Starcade and thinking, mm-hmm. oh, that looks really cool. I never saw the movie, but I saw the game. I was like, that looks really, really cool. And, and then might I played I say, the- might I say uh, one thing I, I would like to add? Uh, no, you might not. Well, uh, with uh, along with Qbert and other Gottlieb games from this particular era, all of these games, Cubert, Kroll, Reactor, all had awesome sound. They, these machine, these Gottlieb machines had great sound. Yeah, you can and, thank David Thiel for that. Yes, you can. So I just wanted to get that out there because the, the music and sound effects in this game are just amazing. Like, uh, I love the sound effect he makes when he dies. Goes, uh, that's kind of neat. Like everybody else, I saw the 2600 version. I think it was my next door neighbor who got it. And I remember, oh, cool! They already made it for the for the twenty six hundred. Let's check it out. And it was totally different, but it was still just as enjoyable, I thought, as the arcade game. Except I could actually get through all three, all all the levels in the twenty six hundred version. I just loved with the with the twenty six hundred version how um, how in the the battle with the, battle with the beast uh, was kind of like a, a breakout type uh, game, and you could actually oh, lose yeah. your you lose your weapon. And then if you lost all of them, you'd have to escape the screen to go get more. Yeah. And um, on the they, horseback, yeah. Yeah, that was that was a really a great game. That I really enjoyed that. Mm-hmm. It's too bad it didn't it didn't sell better. But I, I think I know why. Partially because of the movie and oh yeah, I think that spider screen was kind of maybe a little too hard. If you played it on more than uh, difficulty one, but uh, it was still a great game. Anyway, hey, since I'm still talking, I mean. I might as well continue with uh, what my my usual tired, dragged out thing that I do all the time. Let's talk about how high people had scored in this game. Starting with, uh, let's start with Twin Galaxies. John P. McAllister, I believe we've mentioned his name a few times before. 
verified June 9th, 2016. His world record is 496,000, pardon me, 190. And uh, Orcade.com has Jason Cram, I believe we also mentioned him before, who during Fun Spot 9 on May 30th, 2007, reached 441,780, which used to be also the Twin Galaxies record, by the way. So it's not really a high-scoring game, really. No, not Either really. that or it's just that hard, which either way I could believe. You know, I'm just noticing something on these scores. Uh, hold on, I'm going to go back to the uh, back to the manual here. I think it was, what, was it, page 9? Points are also awarded for placing Cole in a dangerous position in front of one or more boulders. I thought that was uh, just like one or two points that it gave you there. Maybe it might not be then. Okay, well, never mind. I thought oh, uh, well. I thought I saw a, uh, a discrepancy there. All right, continue. I um, saw it. That's all I got to say. Okay. So uh, I did me- neglect to mention a bit of trivia for this game. Oh, uh, do tell. And I just found out about this today, actually. And I've got to find this now. If you have access to the cabinet, to the internal, like the coin door, go in there and press it and hold down the select button. And then reset the machine. When it comes back up, 63 black and white faces representing J.R. Bob Dobbs will bounce around the screen. Oh, Is that possible to do in MAME by a certain key combination? Do you know? Um, I, th- I believe uh, generally in those cases, like F2. Uh, would uh, would is like either reboot or select. If you go into if you hit the tab key and go into uh, um, controls uh, this game, I think it's called. It'll give you the listing of all of the, the the keys that you can map. And if there's a select button or something in there, it will be mapped there. In fact, you know what? Hold on. I'm gonna see if I can't do that oh, right now. now. By the way, this game played really really well on the. Uh, What's that thing I talk about all the, uh, the GPD XD um, oh, Android it? tablet? It, it's I really cool. Still want to get one of those and just and and do do that with it. Come on, Mame, load up. All right, let's go with crawl. <laughs> Gee, guess which game is uh, pre-selected on this? Tinkle Pit. Uh, close. Two Tigers. Um, oh, oh. Yes. <laughs> oh God, I love that music. Oh, it's okay. The selection is called Input This Machine. And in MAME, select in service mode is F1. Reset game is F3 and shift. Okay. Yes, I did it! <laughs> oh, can you, post a sc- it. Can you uh, put a screen cap up? Yes, 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 yes. Boom. Okay. Oh, sweet. That's awesome. <laughs> the, the way I did it is um, if you hit um, shift in F3 to reset it, It'll close the game out in MAME. So at that point, I just, after it closed out, I held F1 until the game booted back up. Oh, I'll have to try that now. Yeah. Not now, 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 but sometime. But, uh, wait, what is this? Anyway, uh, continue. If you've got anything more to add, I guess. I don't know. Um, I got nothing more to add other than my, how, I, how I'd rate it. But, well, uh, yes. Yeah. How, how do you rate the game? And t- uh, tell me all about it. What do you think about I it? I don't know. I'm, I'm almost not prepared to rate this simply because I need more time with it. Uh, I played a lot of it, but not very well. It's definitely absolutely no lower than, a th- than three continues from me. Okay. Yeah, well, you know what? As I said, I played this first when it, when, it, when it hit the arcades, Louis Joliet Mall. Um, 
I really always had a soft spot for this game, and I think as the first screen always sucked me in. Like I said, the final battle is a bit of a letdown, but it's not bad. It's just that third sub-game that just kind of is where I, th- I think even you, or where pretty much anyone that plays this game has problems with it. But, um, yeah, I'm going I'm going to rate this a 4. Uh, I could easily rate it a four. I think if I had more time with it. Yeah, it, if it wasn't I, I for enjoy some it. of the uh, some of the uh, things that I thought were a little cheap in that third screen, I could easily rate it a five at that point. But it, to be honest, I'm rating it a three or rating. I'm sorry, a rating rating it a rating, four. Huh? Yes. So there we are. Where? Oh, wherever you go. Anyway, um, so I guess that is um the game crawl. So I guess uh, we should turn things over to um, another game. And um, I believe the other game we shall talk about tonight is Cubert. Cubert. Okay. I'm already going to say I'm rating it a five. Okay. Continue. All right. Ah, Cubert. Yay, Cubert. Yay. Whatever. Yay, Cubert. Yeah, whatever, Cubert. Yay, whatever. So, I mean, what else can I say about it? Um, it, I'm not going to get into a hell of a lot of detail because... Well, if you're listening to this podcast, you probably know how to play Cubert and uh, excuse me and all that good stuff. <laughs> that was awesome! Oh, great timing! Yeah, ask me uh, what the key to comedy is. What is the key to comedy? Timing. <laughs> I have the, I have the one gift that is crucial to all delivery of comedy timing. material. That is timing, Ti- timing, timing. If I might rip off Steve Martin. And you might again. How many episodes have you? If, well, I both of us know. actually quite done a few. But um, anyway, let's no longer rip off Steve Martin. Let's get small instead. And uh, I see what you did there. Ah, podcasting is not pretty. Um, but <laughs> anyway, Cubert um, was released in 1982, specifically October, my birth month, by the way, by Gottlieb, D. Gottlieb and Company, that is, um, of North Lake, Illinois, just outside of O'Hare Airport. And uh, in Japan, Konami licensed the game for distribution starting in February 1983. The in-game graphics were done by Jeffrey Lee, whom we had on the show in the previous episode. And he came up with the, uh, um, uh, just to summarize what he had told us, he had come up with the basic concept of the game when he did a mock-up of a series of cubes inspired by the artist MC Escher. And uh, he looked at it and he's like, hmm, let me do something here. He edited down that mock-up into a pyramid shape and he came up with these characters and how they'd move around the pyramid. And his coworker, Warren Davis, who was a designer slash programmer at Gottlieb, saw that and he said, hey, you know what? I think I want to use that so I can practice programming game mechanics and stuff. So just like, okay. So anyway, um, David Thiel, whom I've mentioned earlier is, uh, was, the sound programmer. I think he still does that somewhere um, off the top of my head. Um, the cabinet artwork was done by Terry Dorzaff, and that is spelled D-O-E-R-Z-A-P-H, by the way. Um, during the development of the game, it was simply called Cubes. And um, it eventually it, it evolved into another game that was called Snots and Boogers. <laughs> And uh, the reason it was going to be called Snots and Boogers is also the explanation for why Cubert has a snoot. Uh, The original concept was that Cubert would be shooting projectiles, also known as mucus bombs, at the enemies out of his nose. And um, according to 
um, Klov. There were a couple of prototypes that were actually released under that name, but I somehow doubt that that's actually true. I couldn't find any evidence from it. But it was pretty early on in the, de- in the development that it had that title, at least according to Jeff, and that's why I have my doubts part primarily, because it would have been too early to even put a prototype together at that point. But anyway, um, Howie Rubin, whom I mentioned earlier with that quote about Krull, he was essentially Jeff and Warren's and David's boss. He stepped in and he said, guys, we got to call this anything but snots and boogers. Now, <laughs> that's, um, you know, notice that Jimmy G is giggling there or kind of chuckling <laughs> there. And because, you know, we are both apparently nine years old. And judging from our conversation with uh, King George III, Jeffrey, Jeffrey Lee, he also is apparently nine years old. <laughs> so... Our interview with Jeff Lee was one of the nerdiest conversations I've ever done in my life, and I loved every damn minute of it. That was awesome. (laughs) That was awesome. Um, But um, the reason that Howie was telling these guys, look, we can't call it that, was because he didn't want to explain that to Columbia Pictures, who had owned Gottlieb since 1976. And Coca-Cola had just bought Columbia Pictures at the time, so he'd also have to explain it to Coca-Cola. He's like, guys, let's just call it something else. He originally wanted to call the game uh, that nonsense swear bubble that shows up when Kubert dies. That's awesome. And the other people involved in the game were like, yeah, I don't know if we want to do that because how do you pronounce that? You got to mm-hmm. call it something. So they brainstormed with some names. And if you heard episode 60, you heard that somebody for some reason um, mentioned the name Hubert. So they're like, hmm, let's call it Cubert, C-U-B-E-R-T. And um, Ron Waxman, who is another, um, I think he was uh, another vice president on the staff, he stepped in and said, you know what, people are going to call it Cubert, so let's actually spell it with the letter Q, so that way it's a little bit more phonetic. So going back to that sweary dialogue name, there actually have been some cabinets released with that on the marquee instead of the word Cubert. In fact, Galloping Ghost Arcade and Pixel Blast Arcade both have Cubert machines that have the sweary dialogue. In I was going to uh, say, I thought that uh, Pixel Blast had one. Yeah, and both also are autographed by Jeffrey Lee. Indeed. I th- I don't know if he did uh, Underground Retrocades, too. I know he's been there. I don't know if he actually did it. I want to think uh, he did. I wouldn't be surprised if he did. But um, anyway, so that's... Um, a very brief look at the evolution of Cubert. Basically, the gameplay, obviously, we all know it's a pyramid. Cubert is the orange fuzzy character who hops around the pyramid and changes the colors of the tops of the cubes. Uh, I believe Warren Davis was the one who came up with that, and he also came up with the concept of having red balls fall down from the top of the pyramid. Uh, all the characters, like... Ugg and Wrongway, which are the bad characters. Well, they're all bad characters, but Ugg and Wrongway and Coily and the green characters Slick and Sam, uh, they were all designed by Jeffrey Lee. The green characters you can land on safely and score points with, actually. And the two green characters, Sam and Slick, will change the color of the tops of the pyramid. Okay, the- one thing I would like to say about this game that I thought was really, really brilliant um, when it comes to the enemies, is, is there's this one simple rule. You can only touch the enemies that are green. I, I'm sorry if I'm jumping ahead, but, I mean, you were talking about Slick and Sam, and then, of course, there's a green ball as well that 
But it, it's just a simple concept. I mean, in yep. it's for the sequel, they ditched that, which I didn't care for. But yeah, that was, threw me off because in Cubert's Cubes, and I'm getting ahead of myself here. I'm, I apologize for that, but I just wanted to bring that up. because When I first played that, I'm thinking, oh, okay, there's a green enemy. I can land on that. Oh, no, I can't. Yeah. Anyway, continue. I just wanted to bring it oh, up. I can't I, wait. I, I love that. I actually love Cubert's Cubes. I can't wait to talk about that one sometime. Um, so I hope our podcast goes on for as many, for enough episodes to uh, cover that game. <laughs> but yep. uh, hey, let's make that the next episode just to make sure we do. But uh, now, but anyway, so hey, basically we all know the basic premise of the game. Um, one thing that's worth noting, and I don't think you're going to hear you're going to learn this anywhere but from Pie Factory podcast. Ooh. Hey. Unless you happen to be a connoisseur of the classics. Say. The little introductory music on level two, and I th- think all the levels starting with four and above, is box Invention 13 in A minor. Except ah. that it's actually played in E flat minor in the game. Gotta love public domain music. Oh, yeah. And something I thought was very interesting, it occurred to me, eventually Gottlieb was uh, merged with another, I think it was when shortly after Coca-Cola bought Gottlieb and Columbia Pictures that Gottlieb became Milestar, which um, somebody at Gottlieb pointed out that that's basically rat slime spelled backwards. <laughs> but um, when, but Milestar with Jeffrey Lee and a few other people that we've probably already talked about, released a Three Stooges video game. Now, that Three Stooges game is not the same as the Three Stooges home video game that was released by Cinemaware, but why am I bringing this up? Because at least on the computer versions of the Three Stooges video game by Cinemaware, when you are asked to change discs, the music that plays while it's waiting for you to put in another another disc is box invention 13 in a minor. So I thought that was a kind of interesting connection there in a Kevin Bacon sort of way. But anyway, um, the significant thing that uh, a lot of people really might not know about because it's one of these games, it's fun, it's popular, but not many people get very far in it, including myself. Uh, like I think my high score is only like the my recorded high score is like in the eighty thousands or ninety thousands. I know I've gotten well into the into a hundred thousand before, but um, the further you get, like like level one, you change the color once and you're done. Level two, you change the color twice. Yeah, there's an intermediate color. Starting with level three, the colors actually toggle back and forth, and you all have to get them the same destination color. Level four. It's like level two in that you have to hop on the cube once and then hop on it again. But then if you hop on the cube a third time, it reverts to the intermediate color, which can make a little bit of a challenge there, but it's still doable. But starting with level four and going higher, it's a three-way cycle. There's a starting color, a intermediate color, and a destination color. And it cycles through all of those levels, and it can be a major pain. I can tell you, though, that once you find a groove, it's actually pretty doable. It doesn't get any more comp. Yeah. (laughs) However, uh, did you talk about what Slick and Sam do? They revert the colors back. I think I mentioned that. Slick and Sam being a play on the phrase spick and span, of course, and Sam being named after Gottlieb. Actually, after a while... The further you get into the game, the more those guys come out, and they yeah. they uh, act on the cubes the the same way you do. 
They'll change it, you know, back to the target color or the intermediate color or whatever. Yeah. And I have learned to hate them more than any other character in the game. Oh yeah, yeah. I hate them. Yeah, they are the Conrad bane of my existence. But um, what, what was I saying? Oh yeah, Slick and Sam. The names come from the uh, kind of a play on the expression "spick and span," and Sam is named after Sam Russo, who was I think on the development team over at Gottlieb. Um, I might be wrong about that. And something unique about Qbert, um, I'm sure that most people who are listening to this podcast already know this, but there is a pinball solenoid in the machine so that when uh, Coily falls off the pyramid, it actually knocks the machine. You can feel the machine, something hit the bottom of it. And I believe that was, uh, I, I don't know, I don't remember how to say, say this guy's name. His name is Ron Tig or something, T-I-G-H-E, Ty, Tyfe, I don't know. And speaking of Slick and Sam, something that Slick and Sam and Wrongway and Ugg and Qbert actually, they all have in common is they talk and they speak in some kind of weird gibberish. If you didn't happen to see Slick or Sam appear, you know they appear. If you hear a high-pitched spewing of gibberish, if it's a low-pitched spewing of gibberish, it's either Ugg or Wrongway who come out from the bottom of the pyramid. The reason that everybody speaks gibberish is basically that was David Thiel's decision. He was responsible for programming the speech using the Voltrax SC01 chip. And I think it's the same chip that he used for Reactor. And when he did Reactor, he had a huge problem trying to come up with um, clear, coherent speech. Like, he found that no matter what, if you programmed the chip to say bonus, it sounded more like bogus. And so he's like, God, I have to work with this chip again. Well, screw it. So rather than try to come up with like coherency, he just decided it was just going to be random gibberish. Uh, the only actual words that are spoken in the game are spoken by Qbert. And one of them you're only going to hear if you turn the machine on or if you run it through MAME, I suppose. You'll hear Qbert say, hello, I'm turned on. Hello, I'm turned on. It sounds like, you're <laughs> like thinking about the, uh, the screen, the... um. The splash screen on Smithers's computer, aren't you? Hello, Smithers. You're quite good at turning me on. You probably should ignore that. If you score well enough in Qbert to make the high score table, after your initials are entered, if you decide to enter your initials, you will hear Qbert say bye-bye. Bye-bye. So that is the only actual speech. And despite many rumors that went around at the time, you will not hear any of the characters utter any kind of profanities and in fact if you don't believe that then you can download assuming you already own a cubert machine of course you can download the mame rom and the wave samples that go through it and listen to all of the phonemes that are programmed in the chip you will not hear anything that comes anywhere resembling anything that's any kind of english at all except of course bye bye and uh the other thing that Qbert, hello, I'm turned on. That's <laughs> it. Although I'm pretty sure that I, I, I thought I heard one of the samples say, at least we are gay or something. Which uh, I, I don't know what that means. Hmm. Okay. And something that I learned when I was doing research for this episode, actually two things I learned, and this is nothing you haven't heard. If you, if you've been listening to this podcast and heard all of our episodes, this is nothing you haven't heard from other games. There is a 256 related bug in Qbert. Oh, apparently if you build up 256 lives, 
there's a reset that makes the machine think that you are out of lives and the game ends. Yeah, so that should be fun to deal with if you're the kind of person who can build up that many lives. And something interesting that I found when I was looking up the high scores on Twin Galaxies, in the Twin Galaxies tracks, there is a mention that um, the use of the trick to make the enemies disappear is banned. And if you do that trick, your score is nullified. And I was like, wait a minute, what trick to make the enemies disappear? I Googled it. I looked on Atari age, anything I could think of, I couldn't find any details about it, but I did see a video on YouTube of Kelly Tharp. And I've mentioned Kelly Tharp in previous episodes. He demonstrates it in the video that I saw. I'll put a link to it in the show notes. But it looks like what he was doing, I don't know if there is like some something you have to do ahead of time to do this, but he positioned Qbert on the lower left cube. And if I remember correctly, what happened was was Coily came down to him, and when Coily landed on the same cube Qbert was, he completely missed Qbert and then fell off the pyramid. And then what happened after that was Qbert suddenly like ended up behind the pyramid. And Qbert could move around freely and change the colors to the destination colors on the cube. And then the rest of the game, no more enemies. Hmm. And Qbert was still behind the pyramid changing the colors. So that was interesting. I don't know exactly how, how you're supposed to be able to pull that off. But apparently it's pull-offable. So that's uh, something else I learned. Um, if anybody knows exactly how to do that, uh, piefactory at fab4it.com. Clickbait. No. Feedback bait. You won't believe what happens next. No, you won't. Um, maybe it's uh, something that I do want to go over, even though I said, you know, everybody, everybody knows the basic gameplay here. I did not know how the scoring works until I actually sat down to research this episode because I couldn't figure it out. I couldn't figure out the bonus life pattern, uh-huh. but Here's what goes on. If you hit the destination color, you get 25 points every time you turn a cube the destination color. Now, in levels one and two, you can only do that once. But in the higher levels, every single time the cube changes to the destination color, even if it gets reverted by Sam or Slick or you, you get another 25 points. Hmm. And I'll get back to why that might help you in a moment. If you're on a level in which there's an intermediate color, you get 15 points for reaching that intermediate color, but I think you only get that once per cube. If you land on the green ball, you get 100 points, and you are given a temporary invincibility while all the enemies freeze on the screen. If you land on Sam or Slick, you get 300 points. If you lure Coily off the pyramid by jumping on a flying disc, you get 500 points. And this is one of the things I never could figure out. The round completion bonus. If you finish a round, you get 750 points plus 250 points times whatever round you're on. So, for example, if you are on round 10 and you finish it, you get 750 points plus 2,500 points. Oh, and also you get 50 points for unused for each unused flying disc. Having said that, though, if you think about it for a second... It's much better for your score if you actually use the flying yeah, discs say, and loyal coil. Yeah, I never even coily. thought about that. That's not, that's that's. Uh, you would think that they would uh, they would give you more points for leaving the discs yeah. unused because that would mean that you need that's that's more of a skillful maneuver. 
there'd be more skill required in that, you would think. Yeah, and did you notice, by the way, that the the, the further you are in the game, the more flying discs there are on the pyramid? I have noticed that, yes. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, that's very helpful. Now, this is what I was talking about when I talked about how um, it's very helpful that you get a, uh, 25 points every time a cube changes to its destination color. Something that I like to do in one of the levels that has the... Uh, the bat that in which the color toggles actually while I'm waiting for Coily to come over to where I am by a flying disc, I just keep hopping back and forth from one cube to another and uh, rack up those 25 points every time the destination color happens. Mm-hmm. So uh, while I wait for Coily to come and then I bam get my 500 points. I don't know if that would be allowable on Twin Galaxies, but hey, I will never, ever score high enough on this game to reach Twin Galaxies. Uh, yeah, we're not threats. <laughs> no, no. Your first extra life comes when you reach 8,000 points, and then you get another extra life for every 14,000 after that. So that's how the scoring system works in Qbert. Uh, and um, here's where I talk about the home versions, and I'm just going to keep it short and simple. Except for homebrews, it seems that there is a home version of Qbert for everything except the Atari 7800 and the I think the Vectrex. I so, believe yeah. you would be correct. Everybody had Qbert. The 2600 had, Q- and I got, I got to tell, I got to tell this story here. Uh oh. Um, in fact, I think I told it in an audio submission to Ferg when he talked about the Atari 2600 Qbert. But uh, when my next door neighbors got an Atari 2600, it was sometime after I got mine. And um, I think I mentioned before they had a collection. They had a small collection, just like I did, except they had a lot. Di- a lot of their games were different, so there wasn't a lot of overlap. So the neighbor and I would trade games a lot. We'd borrow, I'd borrow some of his, he'd borrow some of mine. He had a friend a couple of blocks away whose name was Petrowski. And because this is, say, metropolitan Chicago, Petrowski was spelled P-I-E-T-R-A-C-Z-E-W-S-K-I, Petrowski. Petrowski had a 2600, and sometimes my neighbor would borrow games from Petrowski, and I would borrow Petrowski's games from the neighbor sometimes, Word got out that Petrowski had Qbert for the 2600 right after it came out, and everybody was dying to see it. He would not allow anybody to touch Qbert. He's like, this does not leave my house. So, of course, I was like, oh, this must be awesome if it's that, if he won't let it out. So I asked for it for Christmas in uh, Christmas 1983. Sure enough, got it. And um, was it as awesome as I thought? No, but I thought still, you know what? This is pretty good, though. I really liked it. So I played a lot of that growing up. Um, I've also played the 5200 Qbert, and um, <sighs> no, it's just no, just no, because it's only uh, because of the controls. Because of the controls, and be- and the thing is, like, I can't really blame Parker Brothers for doing this on the 5200 Qbert, but on the 5200 Qbert, you actually have to press the fire button every time you move. Yeah. I guess it's to make sure that you can backtrack the because the controller, of course, doesn't auto center, so it's making sure you can reposition the controller without putting your lives at risk. But, but I mean, if you do, if you do really want to play that version, uh, the version on the Atari eight bit computers is is the same version, just with real with regular Atari twenty six hundred type joystick. So the other reason I don't like the fifty two hundred version or the eight bit Atari version hmm. is I don't the I don't like how pixelated the cubes look. They look all jagged, you know? Mm, I'd have to look at it again. Yeah, they're not very smooth. They're, they're not very smooth at all, actually. I remember playing a lot. There was a, my cousins on the uh, on their Apple IIc, I think it was, they had a game called Cubic, 
which was a Kubert clone. It was actually pretty good. I really enjoyed that one. But, uh, and I have to say, uh, the Atari 2600 version, it doesn't look really, really great, but it, I mean, you can still tell it's Kubert. And it's, oh, yeah. you know, it's, it, for, for what it is, it's, it's well done. I mean, the shades, because of the, 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 the trick of the programming in the 2600, the shades are on different sides of the blocks. Like, they're, they're like contradictory. Like on the ha- on the left side of the screen, the shade will be on the left side of, or on the right side of the blocks, and on the right side of the screen, they'll be on the left, indicating like two light sources. You know what I'm saying? But yeah, I think uh, what they did was they actually mirrored the graphics exactly. On there. And there's like this big, wide, jagged, you know, uh, separation down the middle of the screen. But the game plays fine. The only thing you could really, uh, the only thing really wrong is the animation because the uh, coily. And uh, Slick and Sam, actually, it's just uh, Sam, I think. Uh, right. Just, uh, they, they kind of like just appear block to block. Yeah, that, which actually works to your advantage if your timing is right. Exactly, because uh, it is possible to actually jump through them. And I've actually done that before. That saved my butt so many times. Oh, yeah. And um, it, you know what? It, it really plays really well. It, it really it, does. It, it really does. And it's you got to uh, hand it to Parker Brothers for that. Um the one version I think I played the most though was the ColecoVision version on the when I had the Coleco Atom. I think and that's another one that had the jagged cubes that I didn't like. I think like. that one was, in my opinion, probably the best looking out of all of the home versions, all of the official home versions. And um, I really enjoyed that one. I got really good. I could get through the first five levels uh, on the Coleco version. But thinking about it, I think I was only playing on difficulty one. Now that I think about it. Oh, by the it. way, once you reach level nine, the difficulty stays the same. It's kind of like the ninth key in, in Pac-Man, I guess. And, and other games too. Yeah. Yeah. But, oh yeah. And the other thing that I, I discovered on my own about Qbert when I was a lad on the 2600 is that you could actually jump off the top of the yes. pyramid. If Coily is chasing you and you don't lose a life and you actually get a 500 point Coily bonus for that Coily luring bonus. Yeah. Which I thought was awesome. <laughs> yeah, they, they 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 did a really good job with the twenty six hundred version. With some bugs, for what they of did. course. Oh, of course. But uh, yeah, I mean, they had to leave out uh, Uggen wrong way, unfortunately. Yeah. And it, you know, what when I first started playing this game, I could not figure out how to get around Uggen wrong way, and it was all they were always killing me, and I could not figure out why. And then I read, I think, in Joystick Magazine. Is when they come out. Look where look where they start. Uh, one of them, they start either at the lower left cube or the lower right cube, and their perspective is shifted. So yeah. the left cube is their top. So if you look at it that way, then you can predict where they're going and avoid them a lot. Once I figured oh, yeah. that out, those yeah. guys start stopped being as big of a problem as they used to be. Oh yeah. Um, oh, oh, by the way, other home versions. There was a board game. I had the board game. It wasn't it, seriously. The board game was basically a translation of the video game. If you had the video game, there was no reason to have the board game, unless you're unless it was collectible, some kind of collectability thing or I something. I wonder if the angry video game nerd reviewed that one. He had a whole episode of board game, board games know. based on video games, and I don't recall him doing that one. Let's see. There was one. also a uh, ta- did Coleco do the tabletop version? I believe that was Parker Brothers. And there is a current tabletop version of it, too, I believe. I don't Which, know, remember who does that. I'm kind of pissed about that whole thing because I have not seen any of those things at my local Walmart. Yeah, I really don't care. I do, because they kind of look cool. They kind of look cool. And you could probably put a, a, a Raspberry Pi in there and make a little portable meme cabinet. Mm. 
And then let's see. Um, I don't know about the Vectrex, but there is a homebrew version of this of Cubert on the 7800. It is called Bonk, and it is spelled lowercase b asterisk lowercase n capital Q, and it is pronounced Bonk according to Ken Siders, who developed it, and it's available in the Atari Age store. I always thought it was Bonk U, which still I think would be a cute would be a cool title as well. But you know, hey. Hey, hey, they're both they're both great titles. It is it is um arcade perfect except for the sound. It really yep. is. And I actually got to like over three hundred thousand on that thing Ooh, recently. Wow. Unfortunately I wasn't video recording it. I could have put it on Twin Galaxies and had a world record, but no. And might I say it's a great purchase for the seventy eight hundred. You might. You might say that. And I just did. Um Oh, I just I believe did. there's another podcast out there about homebrews, and it's going to be the next episode they put really? out, I think. Well, yeah. What would the name of that podcast be, perchance? I think it's called the Atari 7800 Homebrew Podcast. Hmm, interesting. And who hosts that? Oh, some, some like, weird guy. They might be late, I heard, for, like, the second time in their entire career. So. Oh, really? So that might be interesting. Ooh. Is the podcast having a, a kid? Is that why it's late? Um, I hope for their sake, no. Oh, okay. Or else there's a little baby a lot podcast. of explaining to do. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> but hey, take it up but with hey. the host of the Atari 7800 Homebrew yeah. Podcast, so I don't know. Oh, you know what? Uh, I might as well talk about the sequels. I know of three arcade Cubert sequels that have existed at some point. Wait, three? Three. The first one was a pinball machine called Cubert's oh, okay. Quest. I was wondering if you were going to count that one. Okay. Yeah. It's uh, there's a pinball machine called Cubert's Quest, and it was put out by Gottlieb, and uh, I played it at the Pinball Hall of Fame in Vegas. Um, I gotta say, I didn't. The, the pinball machine was not a success. Some people say it was because you no know, people just weren't as into pinball in 1983 as they were before. The shift was going was already well into video games. I disagree. I think it's more because. The cons, it's hard to explain the pinball machine. It's not your typical, you know, up and down flippers pinball machine. Um, there's it, there are a lot of like circles involved in it Mm -hmm. and circular paths. It's a very interesting concept, but it just really feels unfinished. Um, and they have like kind of crossover flippers. Like there are two sets of flippers there's your standard left and right flippers, and then below them, there's another set of flippers that kind of crisscross. Like you use the right flipper button to control the bottom left flipper, and vice versa. Huh. It's a very, it's very interesting, but the gameplay is just not all that exciting. I, I didn't put a lot of quarters into that thing. And of course, there were two video game sequels of Cubert's, both by Milestar. The first one was called Cubert's Cubes, which has completely different gameplay. Uh, same sounds. It's it, it, it's basically, I would say, Cubert's Cubes is to Cubert what Pac Land is to Pac Man. Well, maybe mm. not that much of a separation. Maybe maybe, uh, maybe more Pac and Pal or Super Pac Man. Maybe closer to Pack and Pal. Maybe closer to Pack and Pal, I'd say, because you're not dealing with a pyramid and hopping and changing colors of cubes. You're actually rotating cubes. We'll talk about that in another episode. I love that game. I've never played it in the arcade, but I've played the 2600 version, which I don't like, and I've played played it through MAME, which I do like. And um, I know Galloping Ghost has it. It just hasn't been out there yet since they put it out on the floor. Or did I? Actually, I think I was there once since they put it out on the floor. I just didn't have time to play it. And there's another arcade sequel. It was unreleased. It was never released, except there, there might have been some prototypes made, and you can get the MAME ROM, assuming you own one of those prototypes, of course. Oh, of course. 
It's called Faster, Harder, More Challenging Hubert. And it's pretty much that. And the uh, the, the track mode says um, FHMC Hubert, HMS Pinafore, you know. And I think there's a female character introduced in that game off the top of my head. There could be. I've played that. That's an interesting game. They added a lot more twists to uh, to Cubert. Like, there are some cubes that you actually can't change the color of. And mm. um, I have to play that one a little more. It's really, really interesting. It, I wish they would have released it because that would have been... Uh, that would, Faster, harder, more challenging Cubert is to Cubert what Pac-Man Plus was to, Cube, uh, was to, uh, to Pac-Man. Really. Well, in a way, yeah, in, in a way. way, and, and the I play was say, the same, but they added enough enhancements to make it its own thing. I'd and like to think that if that game were 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 to have been released back then, it would have had a different title, probably. Because basically, you're saying with that title that oh, the original Cubert wasn't challenging enough; it wasn't good enough, or whatever. Or at least I would hope that say Howie would have made him change the name. Yeah, I'm sure they probably would have. Um, I, I don't think they would have gone the lame route of like calling it Super or Cubert 3 or something, some stuff like that, but I'm sure they would have given it a good name. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, but yeah, that was also um, done under under Milestar, um, a.k.a. Rat Slime, of course. Um, so that's uh, about Cubert right there. Um, um, you know what? I... I remember very well when the game first came out and how popular it was. And the thing is, like, it's something that you kind of mentioned before. I think you mentioned it before uh, in this episode. It's that the concept is very simple. It's easy to learn, but it's a challenging game, just like Pac-Man, just like Frogger. And it, it, that's why it kind of goes into that um, canon there of, like, your, it, 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 that's why it's considered, like, like canonical, mm-hmm. I think. Is that is that the word I'm looking for? Canonical, yeah. Mm-hmm. Sure, uh, because they are installing uh, Ubuntu Linux on all their computers, so it's canonical. See, that's Ooh. canonical is the company that puts out Ubuntu Linux. So. Oh, I did not know that. See, you learn something new every day. But, um, I remember, I, f- I think I first saw it on Starcade, but I absolutely played it at uh, Aladdin's Castle at Lincoln Mall many times, many times. And uh, something in retrospect, if I look back on all my experiences with the arcade Cubert, I have only ever seen cubert the arcade game at actual arcades i've never seen them at grocery stores laundromats restaurants or anything it was always an arcade you know what i have seen them in uh in locations outside of arcades um actually like frogger like asteroids like pac-man uh, like donkey kong cubert wasn't a, a ubiquitous game i don't i don't recall if you mentioned this they sold thirty thousand cubert cabinets so, I mean, this is a game you could see everywhere, and I did. I mean, you, you said you didn't see them in a lot of places, but like outside of arcades. But I saw them, maybe not a lot, but, I mean, Cubert, I mean, just this... I, I've used the phrase before on, on other games, but, again, I'm going to use it on Cubert. Cubert is a perfect game. I mean, it's all of the pieces click at the right, you know, click. Absolutely. They all, all the pieces of the game click. It's a beautiful, colorful game, amazing sound effects, and it's easy to learn. And it's, what was the old Atari thing? Easy, easy to learn, difficult to master. And Cubert yeah. fills that, and you get, and it's a perfect sort storm, so to speak, a perfect storm of, Boom. of snots and boogers. I don't know, but um, yeah, I mean, should we drop in that Ferg bit, or do we keep, or since we used it last time, should we like just back off for, or or for an episode? 
Nah, let's embarrass him again. Why not? Okay. I, lo- I love that clip. It's a booger snot, that's for sure. I don't even remember what it was from. <laughs> it was when he was on our show. Oh, okay. I knew right away. Oh, I was like, oh, I got to send that to Hyde. Hyde, keep this in your uh, <laughs> in your drop-ins. Um, <laughs> Hyde, drop Hyde. it in right now, why don't you? Hyde droppings. <laughs> that, 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 that sounds like a, a new segment for the show. Hide droppings. Oh, interesting. Hmm. Yeah, we'll have to work on and that. And of course, something. Okay, something we gotta mention, or else someone's gonna say oh, you didn't mention this. Is uh, because it's a pyramid. Cubert moves diagonally. However, the joystick itself does not technically move diagonally. It is actually rotated. You're actually moving the joystick up, down, left, and right, except that it's rotated forty-five degrees or something. Yep, forty-five degree angle. And actually, if you have a home version, chances are the instructions will tell you to rotate your controller so that it's diagonally oriented. And make sure you hold the controller with the button to the upper left. I mean, you see, I haven't heard Bill mention this in a long time, but he's Bill on Atari Bytes. He was kind of amused slash baffled at all the manual instructions on Atari games that told you how to hold the joystick. You the classic Atari needed. joystick all, all said top at the top. Yeah. Oh, well, not all of them. Not the original one. Really? You sure? Oh, yeah. no, 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 no. It had the Atari. It had the Fuji. Not the CX-10. Yeah. That's your right. But the manual for Qbert, at least on, I think the 5200 version was like this, the 2600 version for sure, and the 7800 bonk, they all tell you to rotate the joystick so that the fire button is perpendicular to the joystick itself. And so that way, even though you're say pulling in the you're, you're pulling down on the stick, what what's normally down, it's actually going lower right or lower left. I mean, um, I'm going to tell you though, I never actually rotated the joystick for the 2600 version. I always played it in normal orientation, and I got used to that really really quickly. Which you can and, do. I mean, yeah. I, I, th- I think you can play it. And I cannot play that version diagonally. I have to like do the little I'd conversion have to play in my in head. In fact, I even hold the ColecoVision joystick diagonally. I think I don't remember if the instructions for that one said you had to do that. I want to think it did. And of course, I have a harder time playing the arcade version because I because the thing is, like, you were actually moving your hand in a diagonal motion, but if you don't hit just the right spot, it's not going to register. And that can really screw you up. Yeah, true. But once you get the hang of it, it's not that. It's not that bad. Having said all that, do you remember where you first encountered a a arcade Cubert? No, and that's because Cubert was everywhere. Um, oh, I rem- it was, but I remember. I remember where I first saw Pac Man. I remember Donkey Kong. The Frogger, thing is, for me, Asteroids. with Cubert, it was either the Aladdin's Castle at the Louis Joliet Mall or the Putt Putt Golf and Games on Essington Road in Joliet, Illinois. Um, I want to think it was the putt-putt. I do know that back in the, uh, way back when, that uh, the world record for Cubert was actually set at the putt-putt golfing games in Joliet. Really? Uh, yeah, it was. And they made a big deal out of it. It didn't, it didn't last there a long time, but it, it was there for a while. And um, I wish I would remember what the score was, but... Uh, so I do remember that. So yeah, I'm thinking it was there. I think I'm thinking it was there. But yeah. Oh, uh, awesome game. Great, amazing game. Oh, totally agree. It's absolutely one of my favorites. And um, hey, what what more can I say? I mean, you know, it's it's a great game. I I agree. It's definitely five continues for me. 
And, um, yeah, but, um, hey, let's talk about, um, oh, you know what? Um, also worth mentioning Saturday morning cartoon on, uh, was it was part of Saturday super, it was part of Saturday super kid. I was wondering if you were going to mention it. The whole thing was set up like, uh, like they were like in the fifties in high school yeah. or whatever. And, uh, there was a gang that Kubert led with, uh, with like slick and Sam and his girlfriend and then coily and Ugg and wrong way had their own gang. It was, it was actually Saturday super kid was not a great show. But the Cubert uh, cartoons were actually kind of uh, were, 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 if I remember correctly, they were not terrible. Yeah, yeah I think it was one of the more watchable faint, ones. Th- that's damning with faint praise, huh? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but hey, well, let's talk about record scores. Um, according to Twin Galaxies, George, Lu- well, Twin Galaxies uh, tracks both uh, marathon mode and tournament mode. And George Lutz has the record on both, uh, to the marathon mode. He's got 37,163,080. And, uh, that was verified February 17th, 2013 and tournament mode. He has, um, 3,930,090. And that was verified November 18th, 2012. And, um, what else? Um, and, Orcade.com shows Rick Carter marathoning it at 28,889,060 on December 14th, 2010, during first ever Richie Knuckles Arcade Marathon over in, over in Flemington, New Jersey. And the uh, thing is, like, I marathon is definitely a key word here because um, it takes a long time to reach those scores on Hubert. Uh, I think... Here in the greater metro Chicago area, Jamie Tibbetts got uh, a few million on the Cubert over at Underground Retrocade, and I think it took him like five or six hours to do that. As I remember, uh, Underground Retrocade posted a, and posted about that on the Facebook page when it happened. So mm-hmm. ma- imagine these people like getting like thirty million. Man, that's got to take forever. But yeah, but yeah. So I guess we pretty much said everything we wanted to say about. Qbert at this time we rated it we both agree on five continues uh, here's a um, little interesting bit of trivia well it's interesting to me but uh, a while back i mentioned that there was this uh, website i had found called OpenGeofiction.net, where they had these fictional continents and you had your own country you designed basically the roads and the infrastructure and everything oh yes yeah. yes um i named my country Cubertia. <laughs> i remember you talking about <laughs> yes. that actually so I haven't. Act- it's been a year since I've actually done that because I'd lost interest, even though it was fun. But they they, they wanted like hyper realism. They wanted they had like a wiki and they wanted you to like create um, like a, a backstory for the country's history and stuff like that. And and I'm like, uh, I just want to draw roads. So it's, I kind of lost interest. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't do all that unless they were paying me for it. You know. Yeah. Well, you know. But um, hey, I guess that's really all we should say. Um. Those of you who are new to listening to Pie Factory Podcast, first off, we apologize. Second off, um, we like to choose our games that we talk about in each episode based on a common theme. Uh, Jimmy G, what is the common theme? These are games which Jeff Lee uh, did the artwork for. And there's another secondary theme to it. Uh, they're both These are game games. Well, and they are both games in which there's kind of like a little plinky sound that a, a little plinky sound effect the same plinky sound effect when you get a credit. Well, be fair, that's not so much a theme. That's that's just the, they, they use the same sound hardware. Yeah, I know, but still, I wanted to. You're do, stretching. You know, yeah, you're stretching. Yeah. Although I will say, um, 
I think we have a great theme that nobody is going to guess for the next episode. Oh, what episode would that be? That would be episode 62. Oh, and uh, what uh, games, about which games are we going to talk? Ramparts and Moon Patrol. Ooh, Rampart World Tour by any chance? No, 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 oh. not Rampage. Rampart. Oh, okay. The game from yeah. Atari. Moon Patrol. So we're, there's a, they named a game after Frank Zappa's daughter? That would be Moon Unit. Uh, Moon Patrol is uh, is I'll the brother. I'll get something right. Moon Patrol is the brother. No, I'm sorry, that's Dweezil. Yeah, close, close. Gotta love these celebrities that name their kids weird names. Penn Jillette's daughter is named Moxie Crime Fighter. Yeah, so. yeah, oh, Rampart well. and Moon Patrol. But uh, before we go, I think we got some other stuff we need to do, don't we? Oh, what do we need to do? Don't we have people to thank? Oh, Places yeah. to go, feces to throw, that sort of thing. Wait, I thought we weren't talking about Rampage. Oh, right. Sorry. All right. All right. So thank you to um, Steve Tui over at Tuiville.com, T-O-U-H-Y-V-I-L-L-E.com. And thank you, of course, to our Patreon sponsors, Nate Lockhart, Kyle Etter, Michael D'Angelo, Jonas Rulo, Keith Sheehan, Richard Valdez, Rory Charles Coleman, Greg Solblazer Polander, and Art Guglielmo, and Underground Retrocade. Thank you so much for your financial support, folks. And if you would like to be added to that elite list of those who have contributed financially to Pie Factory Podcast, eh, we're going to ask that you wait for a little bit for that. Yeah. Why? Because there are people who need money more than we do here. So we are asking that instead of donating to Pie Factory Podcast, that you donate to Houston hurricane relief efforts. And we will put a couple of links in the show notes where you can donate. And our next Patreon payout, that will be going to Hurricane Harvey relief efforts as well. Alrighty. So I guess that's everything, right? Yeah. So um, for Pie Factory Podcast, this is Sean the Second. And this is your old buddy, your old pal, Jimmy G. And as and we certainly wish all of you Let's Uncle, Uncle Pooh. Fudgical. This episode of the Pie Factory podcast was edited and produced by Hyde St. Pierre. Opening and closing theme is the Happy L composed by Sean Courtney. Love theme from Adenda and Arada was composed by Jim Goble. Follow the Pie Factory podcast online via Facebook, on Twitter at Pie Factory PFP, or on piefactorypodcast.com. Now, another episode of Burp Along with Sean. Yeah, well, it's a year old. Oh, yeah, it's, it's a year old. It's a it's 13 months old. Uh, so, excuse whoa, me. That wasn't 13 months old. Well, actually, no, that might have been 13 months old. 13 weeks old, maybe.